Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Okay, so after the Iowa game, I had all these fantasies about what that intro, intro would be. So and, good, right? It was going to so, be so awesome. Well, it certainly was going to be more upbeat and hopeful than than yeah. anything we've had in a while. And then Rutgers happens and ruins all that. And I, I keep coming back to the conversations we've had with so many Coach Knight players uh, about him being a, a brilliant psychologist and and the the way he could push the right buttons in the right way to get everybody to perform at maximum effort and to a large degree maximum efficiency and execution every single time out on the court and we could go into all what went right at Iowa and went wrong in Rutgers and it's going to sound a lot like what we've been saying for the last three and a half years, but what it all comes down to is a team that just cannot bring the consistent effort and execution night in and night out and almost never can after a big win. And I'm just like, it just seems that it's impossible to expect a good team to show up two games in a row. Hey Ward. How are you doing Eric? I just realized we didn't even say hello to each other before you just, you had to just get into it. And I get it. I get it. Look, mostly because of the interview that we have today set up, I'm not going to go off on this except to say what I said, I think a month ago, it's not good enough guys. Do whatever you want, whatever kind of analysis, it's not good enough, period. It hasn't been good enough. It isn't good enough. It does not seem like it will be good enough, period. The turning, point, the turning points are not turning points. They're aberrations yeah, at they're, this point. They're, at, they're a win at Michigan State when you lose 12 out of 13. That's what they are. And, and look, I texted with somebody who after the Iowa game was so excited. And I go, I love the Iowa win. I am so happy we won. I've also seen this play out before when we beat Michigan State in the midst of losing 12 of 13. So you're right. Everything you said is right, but I don't want to get into it. You know why? Because we've got a meaty one today. And I just think we should cut the intro short, except to do one thing that we, of course, are not contractually obligated to do, but we are morally obligated to do. Because we love being powered by... 
I don't know. I don't no. know. We got video. We got video. That's that. That's this is great that you're utilizing the video. It gives those those freeloading listeners who don't pay for the best deal in all of sports, a peak subscription, uh, one more great reason to, to pay for this incredible service Peegs provides. They can see you doing the robot while doing the siren call. <laughs> You're taking it to the next level. I'm trying. Look, I'm in a good mood overall because of the interview we have. And also, big update. You called this two weeks and two days ago. I agreed to foster a dog. The dog didn't have a name. He was a badly abused dog. He was used as a bait dog, which I have been told. Do you know what that is? No. Okay, not to bum everybody out, but a bait dog is used in dog fighting rings, dog, mm. dog fighting circuits. They get a dog to be the sacrificial lamb. They file the dog's canine teeth down so they are mm. flat. Mm. They chain the dog up and they let the real fighting dogs come and fight the dog to train. Mm. They file the teeth down so that it can't really hurt the, it hurts less the, the dog. And those dogs, 99 out of 100 times die. They're just killed by the fighting dogs. Jesus. This dog survived and then they chained him to a, he's like a 50 pound dog. They put him on a like 60 pound chain and just left him in the middle of Bakersfield, California. The organization I belong to or that I support um, called me and said, listen, we don't have a foster for this guy. The animal control has been called. They're going to euthanize him today. Well, I, I, what am I going to do? If somebody tells you they're going to euthanize a dog. Yeah. I went and picked up the dog that day. It was two weeks ago this last Saturday. They said, he doesn't have a name. You can, you just give him a name and that'll be the name. I'm like, yeah, sure. It's gotta be Cheney. Right. <laughs> of course. It's gotta be Cheney. Dog of course. Cheney. And I was also, you know, really communicating a lot with board ward. So I figured dog Cheney got him. You said to me immediately, you're keeping that dog. I, there was no doubt. Like you, you see the face for a half a second over Zoom, and you're in love with the dog. You were clearly, Maybe. clearly doomed. And and to me, what just surprised me is that you offered any resistance even days later. When did you know in your heart there was no way you were going to give this dog back up? Um. Well, let me give a little. Oh wait, where is he? Oh, Cheney. There's your blueprint of assembly hall. Oh yeah, that's where is oh. Cheney? Oh, he's really. Oh, there we go. Hi, buddy. Hey, oh, big guy. Okay. Oh, what a sweet boy. Is he left-handed? Does he oh, have a sweet... I thought he was throwing up for a second. He's not throwing <laughs> up. I literally thought he was throwing up. Um, uh, when did I know? Um, when, they, when he met the kids? Yeah, it was going to be hard after the kids. The kids and Holly. Um, he's just an amazing dog. And he's so sweet. And to be able... You know what? It's somewhat related. To be able to go through what this dog has gone through in his life and come out as sweet and loving and trusting as he is, it just defies any kind of logic. It just, it really does. And to go through what the gentleman 
that we are talking to today has gone through in his life and come out like he has is astounding. And it's one that you and I have talked about wanting to do from the day we started doing interviews with people. And it is an honor and a privilege. And I think we should, Dog Cheney wants us to get to it. I need to give him some love because it's been about four hours now. And uh, it's, it's one of those ones where it's like, why did it take this long? And, you know, hopefully it has this effect on listeners out there as well. But after the kind of year we've gone through and are going through, you know, um, it's it, to me, it just was a godsend to, to have this energy and this message and this story show up today. And, you know, whether people find it tomorrow when we post it or any time in years to come, um, his message is going to reach people at the time in their lives when they need it. And obviously that's something he's been doing for the better part of 40 years. And what, what a, an honor and a joy to be able to, to listen to this man with all he has to say and all the trials and tribulations to use his words he's been through and to come out of it like this, have, have a, uh, have a, a good chunk of time set aside for this one because it's really special. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, the gentleman we are speaking with today holds a very, very, very special place in all of our hearts. And Eric and I could not be more thrilled and more honored to have him on the show. Eric, please break it down who this fine gentleman is. Oh, this is exciting. We are talking to a gentleman who hails from Indianapolis, Indiana, where he attended Arsenal Tech. While there, while playing there, decided, why don't I just go ahead and win the 1977 city championship? Why don't I do all city, all sectional, all regional, semi-state awards in 1978? Why don't I make the Indiana all-star team? Why don't I become a parade magazine all-American, a McDonald's high school all-American, commit to the hometown Indiana Hoosiers, where he helped lead to an NIT championship, two Big Ten championships. And as every single player and coach who is associated with that 1981 team will tell you, there is no national championship without this gentleman. That's right. He is a national champion. He was drafted in 1982 by the Boston Celtics. He was an honorary All-American in 1982 by the U.S. Basketball Writers Association. He received the most courageous athlete award in 1989. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not just talking to a basketball player. We are talking to one of the most inspirational, motivational, aspirational human beings that could possibly exist. He is in many ways the heart and soul of everything we love about Indiana University basketball. We are talking to a 2012 inductee into the IU Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives us great pleasure and it is a huge honor to say we are talking to Landon Turner. Hey, what's up, good people? How you doing tonight? Doing, oh, doing man. We, we are good. Landon, I, I mean, this is amazing for us, but hearing that list of things that you did while playing basketball, what stands out to you the most? Is there one thing that you, when you think back on your time playing, that really stands out as something that puts a smile on your face? I mean, the, the main, of course, the NCAA championship, but Winning puts a smile on my face. <laughs> Winning the NIT championship when we had to go through some trials, 
in mm. tribulations. Oh my goodness, that was that was tough. Uh, trials and tribulations, and then uh, went to the Big Ten and the, the NIT. I mean, all that, and then the NCAA championship. It almost seemed like God was molding things. God knew what was coming in the future, and He just molded things to just work out for me and for the team. Uh, and and it just uh, that that experience with with Indiana University and Coach Bob Knight uh, coaching us who was probably the best coach ever. Absolutely. Um, now, I don't know about some of his, his some of his ways to get his point across might be kind of scandalous. <laughs> but he gets his points across. But I tell you, I, he, he prepared us very well. Well, do us a favor. Uh, it's been a while since we've seen anybody at games, obviously. You're somebody who, when people see you at games, it lights up our lives. But tell, tell everybody what you're doing now. What are you doing to keep busy, both pre-COVID and post-COVID? But what, what's keeping you busy day to day? Well, right now, of course, I'm kind of quarantined. Yeah. I do have a pre-existing, uh, pre-existing uh, I have a type 2 diabetes, so I don't want to be hanging out there. But hey, you know, <laughs> I, still, I still don't see some people around there not wearing masks and stuff like that, which is not cool. Mm-mm. And uh, But right now, I mean, once I think once thing clears up, I'm going to continue doing what I've been doing. I, 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 I'm a motivational speaker. I go around and basically talk about myself, which is a kind of an easy job. <laughs> uh, uh, basically just telling kids, businesses, adults, whoever, how to overcome adversity. I mean, I, I let them know my story and said that, I, you know, I could have possibly went to the NBA and made millions and millions of dollars, but that was wiped away from me and, you know, and some people in that situation would have just easily given up and just, and, and, you know, but I'm just saying with, with the kind of attitude that I had and the, and the resilience and the never give up uh, attitude, I just tell people, if I could do it, you could do it. You could just live, you could live a positive life, no matter what kind of adversity may come your way. And when you're doing that, and you've been doing it for a long time now, yes. it has to be so gratifying. I'd imagine the stories come back to you of somebody who heard you speak or spoke to you and 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 you really made a positive change in their life. Is that something that just kind of keeps you going? Have you have you heard those stories? Do you have one even you could share with us? I hear those stories all the time. I'm, I mean, uh, people just constantly... I get emails or whatever. They just say, well, Landon, there was times in my life where I thought about giving up. Uh, life was hard. And I think about you when I'm, when I'm feeling down, and that uplifts me. And that's what I'm all about. I'm all about uplifting. And I want, I want people to live the best lives they possibly can because you only have one life. You only live one life. And you need to live that life as happy and as joyous as you possibly can. I mean, you could go, I mean, you could easily give up and just, I mean, I could have given up. I mean, there were times where it was it was very hard when I was laying up in the hospital and couldn't move. And I mean, there, there were times where I thought about, oh man, w- w- I mean, my basketball career is, is gone. I mean, I, what is it to do? And I thought about giving up, but it's the winner inside me and my inside my mind and inside my heart. I just can't give up because I mean, even though I've won games and won big games and championship games in basketball and, and things like that, 
I really want to win the big game of life. And I want other people to win the big game of life. And that scoreboard, I'm guessing, is about how much joy you have in your life, how much love you have in your life. Is that is that how you track how you're doing, even even yourself now in a given day? Yes, and I mean it's I mean, and it, and it's not it's not easy at all. I mean, uh, be, p- being paralyzed from the chest down. Um, I mean, it's rough, and I'm here here, and I'm six eleven, probably two ninety three hundred. You know, and I got to get myself around in the bathtub and on the toilet. I mean, it, it's rough, but you know what? I'm going to do it. I have the resilience and I have the perseverance to overcome the things that come my way. And I'm just going to live a positive life and be the positive land in Montel Turner that I could possibly be. Well, look, let's get into that because the truth is that stuff doesn't come by by accident. The stuff that you are made of. There's a lot of people that have something to do with it. Obviously, it's an inner strength that you have. But let's go all the way back because I know how important your parents were in your and are, and still are. They obviously remain a presence in your life. But let's go back to being a kid. Tell us about your parents. I know your dad worked at the Ford Motor Plant. You know, tell us tell us about your parents and what they meant to you and what they taught you even from an early age. Wow, my parents. They, I mean, they meant everything to me. I mean, they were. My father was a hard worker. My mother was a hard worker. I mean, she worked at the city county building as a, as a secretary, but then once she had me, she decided to be a stay home mom. And my father just, he just, he, I don't think he ever missed a day at work at four. I mean, I mean, he mm-hmm. just had a, a, a record just, I mean, some people say, I don't feel like going to work today. That, that was not my father, very hard worker taught us to work hard. And uh, and when I was young, I mean, of course, I grew fast. <laughs> and, when, and, when you, and when you grow fast, your muscles do not get, your muscles have not caught up to your height and your growth. So I was very uncoordinated. Very uncoordinated, I mean, would trip over my own feet. I mean, I was, I was just, I mean, a lot, uh, I was called every name in the book when I was, when I was in school. Uh, goofy, gumpy, stupid, just, just people, the kids were, were, were really cruel. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. growing, and then I had to fight every day in school. And my parents, I, I mean, I did not want to, I did not take that to them that, you know, I was being chased home from school and all this kind of thing. This started like in the fourth, fifth grade. And, mm-hmm. um, and I was, I was really, as as a kid, I was kind of a mild mannered kid. I was, I wasn't going around trying to start fights or being mean or anything like that. But I always seemed to find people always wanted to fight me. I guess mm-hmm. because I don't know if they were jealous because I was taller than them, or they found out that I was mild mannered, and they just oh let's just beat them up. Mm-hmm. So you know, so I had to go through that. So with that, I really did not feel good about myself. I really had a low self-esteem about myself. I uh, hated being tall, so I walked around with my head hanging down all the time, all the time, trying to make myself shorter. And I remember my mother to this day, hold your head up. Looks like your lips are down on your chest <laughs> every day. But but they did not know I was struggling uh, dealing with my height. You know, I because I I was like, well, what's different about me? Only thing that I can think about me is that I'm taller than everybody. And so I had to go through that. And because I had to 
fight almost every day or every other day in school, that made me hate going to school. I really mm. hated going to school. Yeah. And I mean, I knew, and I knew that an education is very important in life if you want to be successful or do anything like that. But me having to go and deal, and it seemed like every guy that was that I had to fight was always a sh- two or three little short kids. <laughs> <laughs> every time it was always the, the two or three short kids. It wasn't like one short kid by himself. I was like, okay, I can deal with you, but it was always two or three. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, so I hated going to school. And because of that, I, I suffered. I I did not put my all into going into school and into learning like I should. Mm. I mean, because I hated going to school because I knew what was going to happen when I went to school. And my parents did not know that, but they still always told me to get the best out of myself and be the best I could be. But I still had that struggle, you know, with uh, feeling feeling good about myself. So when you're going through something like that, is that where you start to find sports or because you're still uncoordinated and gangly? I mean, how do you, how do you find something that, that you're passionate about or that makes you happy? Or is that a stretch of time in your life where you just weren't? Well, I, you know, I love sports and I mean, I, I played more than just basketball. I mean, I was on, the, when I was uh, 11 years old, I was on the swim team mm. at a Wheeler, Wheeler's boys club. And, uh, and, and when we had an all when we had an all city tournament, I got gold medal in freestyle and a, mm-hmm. and a silver medal in backstroke. I played football, and of course, back then they didn't call us wide receivers; they called us ends. So I was <laughs> an end and uh, caught a few caught a few uh, touchdowns. Um, and when I was in high school. I had since my father. My father was a world class athlete. I mean, he got the Tressler Award when he was in, at Tech High School. He play, He was. He played basketball, football, ran track, and he excelled in everything. So I kind of want to follow his lead. So my junior year, I had this crazy idea: Why do I just run track and just kind of stay in shape for basketball? And then I had the nerve to run where he ran. <laughs> the 400, the 400 meters uh-huh. uh, race. And so I'm like, I can run. I, I can do this. So I would I would run this thing, man. And it seemed like when I got to 100 yards left, it seemed like King Kong jumped on my back. <laughs> and I was leading every time. King Kong jumped on my back and then everybody passed me. <laughs> so running track. Now, if I would have ran the sprints, I probably would have been pretty good. Instead of running that 400, I should have just ran the 200. I think I would have did pretty good. Now, but I, 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 but I did love, but but sports was an outlet. And then, I, then once, because I mean, my freshman year, I was 13 years old as a freshman at Tech High School. And I was still uncoordinated. I still was tripping over my feet. I still was, was kind of, you know, unco- very, very uncoordinated. People were still talking about me. Ah, you goofy, all that. But then, you know, I still stuck it out. But then my sophomore year in high school, every my muscles caught up. Oh Mm. goodness gracious! Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And then, but in my sophomore year, I find myself. 
Uh, you know, I played myself on the varsity, on the varsity team at Tech High School. And um, and I remember, should I tell you a story about, about please, that? Please, please. Man, this is crazy. All right, at Tech <laughs> High School, you know, it's over 3,000 students at, at Tech High School. So we had an all-school pep rally. And so all the students are in the gym. And, and the coaches, Coach Ernie Klein, who was a great guy, great coach, he was introducing all the seniors. He was introducing everybody that was going down, slam dunking and, you know, shooting long jump shots and everything. And, and I'm a sophomore. I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, what am I going to do when they introduce me? I'm thinking I'm going to do something double pump or do something do something nice so, you know, I can impress the girls. Because, you know, yeah. back then, <laughs> I, was, I was starting to get a little – I was starting to, you know – get a little more confident about myself and so I was I was starting to like the girls and then you know I was, I was a few girls kind of like me too mm-hmm. so I knew that if I did something <laughs> real nice and nasty and dunk real hard I have a couple <laughs> girls that you know might give me their telephone number or something so okay here's here's a coach Ernie Clay says well we have our only sophomore on the team and we expect great things out of him and here's here's Landon Turner and I think because I was the youngest one on the team, everybody, it was like a standing ovation. I mean, it was just loud. So I started dribbling down the court, and I took off probably a little bit in front of the uh, free throw line, and I came down real hard and hit the front of the rim. And when I, the ball <laughs> hit the front of the rim, it threw my body backwards. Oh, no. so, I'm, so I'm laying on my back, you know, and then the ball comes and hit me on my forehead. <laughs> and so all those people that were yelling and cheering, and now they were all in the uproar laughing at me. Oh, and you know what? I did not get one telephone number from a young lady. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> that did suck. Uh, well, you would you would certainly make up for that in time. Um, now, talking about your father's athleticism, I'm sure he gave you a hard time when you ran out of gas on that 400. But I know he was just a huge inspiration to you. Uh, as you were developing into an athlete, would he really work with you in any of the sports or is it more just like what he did you were trying to live up to? Well, um, I wanted to emulate him. Um, basically, like in football, he just basically gave me verbal, verbal, you know, uh, information on what to do in there. But when it came to basketball, he was hands-on. He was more hands-on with the basketball. He uh, was teaching me the the the, the hook shot. Mm-hmm. And he was teaching me different uh, moves down low and things like that. He was very inspirational, and, and you know, and he and it was hard to please him. You mm-hmm. know, I would I would get a have a game with twenty four points, fifteen rebounds, four block shots, and then I you know after the game he was a well, you you was kind of lazy a couple of times. I was like, man, I was like, I guess he just wanted me to be all out all the time, which I should have been. But um, he was very inspirational and with everything and, and everything that I did. He was he had my back a hundred percent, and my mother also had my back also. So I, my mother's passed a couple of years ago. She passed, but my father's still hanging in there, and he's still here, and and I talk to him every day. 
So there was a group of people that helped you uh, gain some toughness, from what I understand, in playing basketball. And this may surprise some people because this is a group of people that you don't often hear about being responsible for helping a basketball player. But I understand you had like a relationship with a group of police officers at a certain gym that you went to that helped really establish your toughness and, and make you you know, really buck up and play and play the game with men. Can you talk about that a little bit? Wow. Uh, it was, I had as a friend that met him at church. Plus he lived in our neighborhood on the east side of Indianapolis. His name was Brown. His name is Brownie Coleman. And I used to ride, Brownie used to take me around to all the gyms around Indianapolis. And uh, we were just, you know, just looking for a game, looking for some competition. And, uh, and he would often take me to the police uh, academy where, you know, they, they'd lift, the policemen would go in there and lift weights and, and they had a basketball court. So we would go in there and play. And these guys, they weren't all that good. <laughs> <laughs> they, they weren't better than me, no doubt. But I mean, they were, they were rough. Right. Mm. I mean, they, they definitely uh, were very physical. You know, I would block their shot every time and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but um, that really helped me a lot uh, as far as my physicality uh, because at, around that time I was, like I said, I was starting to get my coordination and everything. But um, I was kind of, I was, I, I really wasn't that physical at first. I mean, because I was just, I was just a, a soft-hearted kid when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, I just. I didn't start fights or I just, I just wasn't real physical, but then, but, but dealing with those policemen, I was like, okay, all right. I, I, I know when I, when I come here to play, I better be ready and be physical with these guys or, or they are tearing me up. Or I just, or I'll leave this place crying. <laughs> Man, I, they were physical. And I mean, and I really, and I really enjoyed doing, I really enjoyed that kind of play. Did you get any connections though? Like, did you ever become friends with a police officer? So if you ever got into some trouble, you had a, a guy you could, could bail you out, fix a ticket for you, something? Well, they, a lot of them knew me. And, and, I, and I did have a situation one time where I was speeding <laughs> and a policeman came to stop me, uh, knew who I was and remembered me and, and let me go. Gave there me we go. There it is. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, so as you're, you're gaining this toughness and you have the coordination, do you remember a, a game, a moment, even a conversation with a coach or, or a parent where you realized basketball could take you further in life than just getting some girls numbers in high school? Well, my parents always, they, all, they, even though I, I hated going to school, they always stressed education and everything. And, um, and they said, no matter what you do, we're, we're, we're basically going to be behind you and, and back you up. And so, so my parents were the biggest influence on everything that I've accomplished. And, uh, but uh, there was also a guy by the name of Ralph Dow. He was the director of Wheeler's Boys Club. And he was a big influence also, along with Brownie Coleman, the police officer. And I mean, they were, and, and and they knew that I was uncoordinated, and they and they saw my, they saw me developing, and, and so that they were just always encouraging me whatever I did. I mean, they would always give me positive 
reinforcements. And Ralph Dow, I mean, that guy was, was such a great guy. I was uh, I played on the Wheeler Boys Club team. Um, he was our coach, and he was all he would always stress positivity all the time. You know, I mean, I do not even though I might have messed up or something, he would always be positive and encourage me to to do a lot better. Same with Brownie, same with my parents, and and then you know, and then there were people that worked at the boys' club that were always positive with me. And I mean that really helped me out a lot because because prior to that I you know I really had low very low self esteem about myself and I hated being taught. Mm. So then once I started becoming a lot more, um, all my muscles started catching up and I was becoming a lot more physical and, and in my coordination and everything. I was I was like okay I'm, I was starting to feel good about myself. I was, I was starting to feel more confident about myself. And those and my parents and those and those other people that I mentioned, they just reinforced my thinking. And I, then I started thinking to myself, hey, I could do whatever I whatever I put my mind to. If I want to be the best, I think I can work hard and be the best I possibly can. You know, because I because once I found out that I, you know, that I had decent skills in basketball, I just started concentrating on wanting to be the best I could possibly be on the basketball court. And I didn't think that there was anybody in the city or really in the country that could stop me. And that's the way everybody should think, you know, once they do something and they find something they love, they got to strive to be the best they possibly can be in whatever they want to do. There was a hell of a lot of good talent in the state of Indiana around the time that you were playing. Who were some of the guys that you played against or even guys that came before you that you kind of looked up to? Were you a fan of any kind of Indiana basketball legends? Oh, wow. I was an avid Indiana Pacer fan. Mm. I loved the Pacers. Used to go, used to go to the old Coliseum and watch them. And the players on that team, Mel Daniels. I wanted to be like Mel Daniels. Mm. And I loved Freddie Lewis. I loved Roger Brown, Bob Nedelicki, uh, Slick Leonard. I mean, I love those guys. And at that time, I loved the ABA because yeah. the ABA back then, oh my goodness, Dr. J, um, Iceman. Yeah. I mean, every game I went, every game I went to, it was like those some of the best players were out there showing off. And then I mean, you know, dancing Harry. You all remember? Well, you all no. Know. Who's Dancing Harry? Dancing Harry was the mascot for the Pacers. <laughs> Pre-boomer. He was a black guy, and he would dress up, and he would just walk around the Coliseum dancing. <laughs> did you dance with Dancing Harry? I did not dance with Dancing Harry. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, 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 my rhythm was kind of messed up. I wasn't that much of a of a dancer. Um, my mother, my mother, she, she loved music and all she listened to was Elvis Presley, Ingerbert Humperdinck and Tom Jones. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that, and that's what I, that's what I grew up listening to. Oh, and, yeah. and, and I, and I mean, she never played Smokey Robinson or, 
or the miracles or <laughs> Marvin Gaye or anything like that. So I didn't know nothing about none of that. <laughs> but you knew got, Delilah. Same but you guy, knew Delilah. Same guy, we got WTLC in Indianapolis. And then I started listening to some R&B and I was like, I like this music a little bit better than what she's listening to. <laughs> but but going but 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 dancing Harry and also I don't know if you all know, you know, they say that they say that there's never been, you know, like a woman general manager. Well, I know it has been now, but Slick Leonard's wife was a general manager for the Indiana That's Pacers. Right. Yeah. And then she she ha- and she has to be the first. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, and she, she has to be the first. She and Slick saved the franchise basically with that that telethon. Yes, that is true. But I used to love the Indiana Pacers and Dr. J and the ABA. And I and but I used to always want my game. I wanted to be like Mel Daniels. I mean, that that was my boy. <laughs> What about, uh, does George McGinnis mean anything to you when you were a kid? Oh, my goodness. I forgot to mention his name. <laughs> I love Big George. Yeah. Big Mac. Big Man, Mac. He was, he, was, he was awesome. And plus, I know him. I know him personally. He's a very nice guy. You know, and um, I love Big Mac. And I never tried, you know, because he, you know, once he, once he got into the uh, NBA, you know, he was doing that one-hand pump yeah. shot. I didn't want to do that. I, I just wanted to get up and shoot my shot. But, you know, the ABA and, and, and those guys really influenced me a lot. Well, so that that's what's going on professionally there in Indianapolis. But with the other high schools, you know, it's Indiana basketball. It's still single class. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, the rival teams you had and and what, what are like a great sectional or regional battle that you remember where, you know, both sides are just going crazy and it's it's Hoosier hysteria at the high school level that is now wow. famous worldwide. I mean, it has to be the best in Indiana, man, because, wow. Well, one of our rivals was probably Addicts High School. Mm-hmm. Sure. And I mean, and I remember one time, I think it was my junior year, uh, we were playing at, at Attics. And I think I had like 26 points, 24 rebounds or something like that. <laughs> and and as I was leaving the floor, a guy jumped out of the stands. And he said, Big MF, we I'm gonna kick, we're gonna kick your A because you kicked our A. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and back then I was feeling a little, little good, more confident about myself. So I was like, come on. And, so, and then he turned around and ran. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so then I went into I went into our locker room and uh and and then our bus driver came into the locker room with I mean he was a white guy and his face was all had knots and was all they went on the bus and beat our bus driver up. <laughs> oh my god. And I was like, wow. But I tell you, um, the, 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 the sectionals and the regionals at Hinkle Fieldhouse mm-hmm. uh, in, with, the, with the city, because I mean, the, the, city had, the city had the best players. And we used to just beat each other up before you, know, you, went, you went a little bit further. I mean, because the city, every, seemed like every school had a great team mm-hmm. in football, track and, and i mean all the city was great 
But I mean, in the sectionals, I remember my junior year. We, I mean, we we had a team that probably should have won. Matter of fact, all four years I was at Tech, we should have won the state championship. Mm. Our team was that good, but we would always get put out of the sectionals or the regionals. And then my senior year, we got put out of the semi-state by Muncie Central with mm. Jack Moore. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I just kind of blame that game on on our, on our point guard, but I'm not going to go there. Because, <laughs> I mean, the, against Jack Moore, I mean, I came out, I hit probably, I hit about five or six in a, in a row. I mean, the point guard was feeding me. I mean, I was just killing them. And then in the second half, I guess he decided this, this is going to be me, the second half. Mm. And, he, and he just started shooting and missing, shooting and missing, shooting and missing, where he should have kept feeding me. Yeah. So then at the end, when we was when, when, when we were down and we was coming back, he came down and threw the ball, threw the ball out of bounds. And that's how we lost. Oh. Now, it was heartbreaking. It was, hard, it was heartbreaking, man. I hate losing. And then yeah. Mustard Central went on and won the state championship. Mm. Now, there were a lot of players around you in the city. You, uh, you know, a couple years before you, around your same time, guys like Mike Woodson, guys like Ray Tolbert, oh, Randy Whitman. Poor. Mike Woodson kicked our butt every time. <laughs> Man, oh, my goodness. Every time we played Broad Ripple, they beat us. They, I mean, he, would kill, he basically killed us by himself. <laughs> and I was a sophomore. Because he was a senior and I was right. a sophomore. And the coach never put me in when we played Bra Ripple. Hmm. Never put me in. Oh, not good. I guess he I get you know, I guess he just wanted to 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 please the seniors. So he played so he played the seniors the whole time. Hmm. And cause I was thinking, you know, I'm you know, I might not be able to stop Mike Wilson, but I can go in and be and contribute in a positive way. I can get some rebounds and I can score. Because they didn't really have a big center or anything, I think I could have I could have worked that center, but Mike Wilson killed us. And then we had Poncho Wright, who played for Louisville, played for Marshall. Mm-hmm. He was he was tough. Um, man, we, we it was some great players in in the city. Who was the best? Who was the best player in high school you played against? Uh, that I played against them. I can't say Mike Woodson because I didn't play against okay. him. Okay, okay. But he was the best that I saw kick our butt. Um, the best one that I've ever played against in high school. In the city, right? Anywhere. Any game that you remember playing in high school. I probably have to say probably Poncho, right? Yeah. But but he stayed outside. He didn't come inside too much. Yeah, he didn't want none of you. He didn't want none. But of you. I mean, he so he 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 worked our guards to death. But, uh, but Poncho Wright, I mean, he he was very skillful, and he was and he's also a good friend of mine. And uh, we when we uh, went to the Indiana All Stars together, and I mean that guy. I mean, he probably had a probably about a thirty six inch vertical. And I mean, very smooth, very smooth, mm-hmm. very smooth player. So I would probably have to say Pacho, right? So as you are making a name for yourself, colleges start to send letters. Uh, I read one uh, article that said you got 300 letters 
from different colleges. So can you just kind of take us through the recruiting process back in the day and, and how you and your parents started to navigate what you now saw was your future beyond high school. And then of course we, we have to ultimately get to when Indiana started recruiting you. Well, I started getting letters um, probably in my junior year, started getting uh, tons of letters all the time. And, and I was checking them out and I was like, you see at, at that time in the, in the late seventies, you could only, you could only have two visits. Mm-hmm. So you can only visit two colleges. Oh, I didn't know that. And so I was getting letters like from Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Daddy. I was like, Daddy, why don't we go and visit Hawaii? I said, I'm not going to go there. Well, let's go eat some pineapple and, you know, look at some hula hoops. The women with the, I don't know what they call those. Yeah, dogs. get a luau dancer in there and see what I'm Yeah, you know, uh, and he was like, no, no. So I, I kept getting, I'm like, well, well, well. I was like, well, that's an opportunity, a free, a free ride. And then, and then and then my father said, he said, you're not gonna, he said, you're not gonna go to no school but Purdue or IU. Ooh. I was like, wow. I said, I don't have any, I, I can't say anything. I don't have anything. <laughs> I can't say where I wanna go. I mean, because uh because Louisville was recruiting me real hard. Fred Schaus at Purdue was recruiting me real hard. And, you know, I mean, they they came to my house to visit. But, but my father said, you're not going to nowhere but Purdue or IU. And, you know, I had respect for my father. I wasn't going to just say, oh. So I, I had seen a lot of, you know, sending the papers when Coach Knight was snatching Jim Rissman off the floor and you know, pulling on his jersey. And I heard stories about how he cussed his players out and, you know, how physical he was with them. And I was like, I do not want to go there. <laughs> I, said, I said, let's go check out since I only have two choices. You know, <laughs> let's go down to, let's go down, let's go to Lafayette. So I went to Lafayette, you know, met with Fred Schaus and the assistant coaches. Went into Mac Arena, and at that time, Mac Arena was always dark. Mm-hmm. You all remember that? Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. It was always. It's not like like it is now. It was always dark. So I walked on the campus, and you know, and it just, and it just, it just looked dull. Yeah, yeah. ugly place. It looked dull to me, and I was like, <laughs> uh. yeah. And then I went on, it went to Mac Arena, and it was dark, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and it, 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 did, it just did not and also Purdue would also get also Purdue get a job for me and uh and Poncho Wright. So they thought that we were definitely coming to Purdue. They got us a job at the athletic department. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a play, it was called an athletic department. And so I was basically stocked stocked athletic equipment and made money doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Thanks mm-hmm. to Purdue. Thank you, Purdue. Yeah. <laughs> and so they thought they had us because they got us a job, but then he ended up going to Louisville and I ended up going to IU. But <laughs> wasn't there some talk of you playing football at Purdue too? Who's that? Like I'd read something that they were interested in you for football as well. Is that not right? No, no, okay. not at all. I, no, not at all. That's what happens but, when we use Wikipedia for our research. <laughs> That's the problem. Yeah, I know. No, it wasn't anything about football. But anyway, um, 
after I visited Purdue, I was like, this place is too dull and too drab for me. I said, I, <laughs> I said, I can't go here. I can't go here. So even though the coaches were nice and everything. So then I left one school. So Mr. Robert Montgomery Knight came to, came to visit, visit me in my house. And I remember I was like, man, this, I didn't know this dude was this tall. I mean, he was, I mean, he was tall. I didn't think he was that tall. I never, you know, thought about how tall he would be, but he was tall. And he came in the house and my mother would always offer him orange juice. I bet I, I bet he didn't get a cold that year because my mother was <laughs> giving him the Tasha giving him orange juice. Tasha giving him orange juice. And he and he was he was very nice and cordial. I was like, God! Oh, I said the things they say about him may not, may not, might not be true because this great guy is very nice, very cordial. <laughs> but I remember him. But I remember him. Uh, he was just saying, "Well, we need a rebounder, and you know, we need somebody to play, you know, tough defense." And I said, "Coach, I can also shoot." He said, "Oh no, we we don't need a shooter. We just need a rebounder <laughs> and somebody that can, you know, play tough defense." I said, I could do all that, Coach, but I said, I can also shoot. He said, oh, no, no, no. Like, I don't know if I want to go to this school. I can't play, no, I can't shoot. Right. And then so, and then I remember another time he came to visit me at Tech High School. And and all in the paper, it was, the paper was like, Landon Turner, he's the franchise. And I was like, and I felt kind of good about that. So, yeah. so I saw, so I, I talked. I talk, was talking to Coach, and I said, "Oh, Coach, I said they, they called me the franchise in the newspaper, you know." And I and I was just saying, it, being you know gleeful and happy about it. But let alone one day in practice, I wasn't doing good in practice. And he's like, "Oh, well, you remember when you told me that you was the franchise? <laughs> oh, Why did I breathe that? Why did I?" Tell <laughs> He was good at bringing up past stuff, that, you know, that you didn't think was nothing, but he always hung on to it. We, we've been told by other players that he would do this thing no matter who you were in practice. He'd be like, if you weren't playing well, he'd be like, oh, what, you think you're playing Muncie North here? You like he would he would say something about whatever your rival was. You, you think you're playing Addicts? This ain't Addicts. You're playing Purdue tomorrow. Like even he would. That's just, true. He would the just one try thing to that I hated. Like when I, you know, cause I sometimes, I sometimes, I didn't take practice, you know, real serious all the time. And I mean, sometimes I would, you know, kind of go through the motions. I, I just didn't practice hard all the time. And in and those days when I wasn't practice, you know, he would say, stop, he'd blow the whistle, stop practice. And then he would look up at the, the managers who were, who were taking notes and they were taking your statisticians. They were like taking your stats. He said, how many rebounds Turner got? And they said, one rebound. He said, that's one damn rebound more than my dead grandmother got. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. You know, that would just motivate me to work harder. But, you know, you know, he was, he was, he was something else, boy, I tell you. But, you know, I forget what we were talking about. I kind of went off with something. No, else. no, no. It's well, great. Yeah. And, and, and you ultimately, you don't have a choice because you can play for the greatest college basketball coach ever or go to Purdue. So clearly Bloomington wins out. Can you talk about 
getting down to Bloomington, a much prettier campus, a much more beautiful town. I was much- just about to say that. I mean, uh, I think it was like it was probably in the fall when I oh, went to go visit. Beautiful. And I mean, it was my first time, you know, because my parents were kind of strict. You know, we, we didn't really do a lot of traveling. I think all the place I would probably they went to Tennessee, where my father's from, and then we went to Cincinnati. We we didn't do a lot of traveling. We kind of we kind of stay homebodies, so never went down to never went down to Bloomington. So we were driving down thirty seven, and you know how they had the rhinestone hills, and I was like this because you know because I'm outdoors and I love the outdoors. I love nature. I love God's creation. I love all that kind of stuff, and so I'm looking. I'm looking at the rhinestone hills. I'm like, this is beautiful down here. And then we drive into the into the campus, and I'm looking at this football stadium, and I see Assembly Hall, and I'm like, man, this is beautiful down here. I love this. So I'm already enamored right now. I'm already feeling good about Bloomington. And so then I go into Assembly Hall and, and everything, and I'm like, oh, this place is nice. And it was bright because, you know, it was a lot brighter than Mackey Arena. Yeah. And it was bright, and you know, and I talked to Mike Wilson, talked to some other players, and and I was like, well, since I don't have no other choice, <laughs> I might as well go to I might as well go to Bloomington. No, wait, wait, and, man. You know, and I'm and I'm glad I went there, even though I went through some trials and tribulations. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm ultimately glad that I went to Bloomington. Well, we're gonna hit those trials and tribulations, but I gotta ask this because you brought it up back into your high school days, hoping that you would throw down a dunk at the pep rally to impress some ladies. Let's be honest. You got to Bloomington and you saw the ladies of Bloomington and compared them to the beasts of Mackie and realized <laughs> that you were coming to Bloomington because the lady game was on point. Well, I like ladies at all schools. <laughs> I mean, I kind of dated some in Purdue. I, I mean, hey, I, mean, I, I don't care what school you go to, long, long as you're not, your name's not Joe Barry of Carol Carol. I loved women, you know, no matter what school it was, but the ladies that I, you were nice. Um, I, I mean, it, 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 it was it was very nice and very wonderful being in, in, in Bloomington. Especially doing Little 500. I mean, that was a good time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, because then the season's over. I would I would try to hit every party, and I try to hit every sorority and, and, and fraternity on, on Jordan Street. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was just, just, I mean, just going up and down Jordan like, like I was crazy. <laughs> so do you remember the moment you did commit? Did you call Coach Knight to tell him you were coming? What was the moment of actually deciding you're going and telling Coach Knight? Well, it was my senior year. And um, and after only visiting the two schools that my father forced me to, mm-hmm. well, I, mean, I can't say forced, but it was kind of forced. He didn't give me no other choice. Um, after I, after I, visited down there um I was my mind was made up I was like I'm going to Indiana University and um and I mean at that time I, I had like C C average and everything I mean but but down there you know it's you know in, in high school you know I had my mother help me out with some stuff and you know she, she would be like my tutor mm-hmm. and but when you go down when you go down to college you're on your own you know, but luckily 
we had tutors and stuff like that, but that really helped me out a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but me, but, <laughs> but, but like I was saying earlier in our conversation, my parents were kind of strict and, 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 you know, they were, I was kind of come in before the light, the, the street lights come on and, you know, uh, you really, I really, they really didn't let me do a whole lot. So when I got down to Bloomington, I was like a free lion. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, and I was a late bloomer with the girls because I really wasn't, I really didn't feel confident about myself. So I didn't really feel confident going up to a lady and say, hey, uh, do you, uh, do you mind if a man in my complexion can walk in your direction, give me some protection? Do you have any? I just didn't have confidence <laughs> to, to rap to girls or anything like that. Because my father didn't tell me how, he, he didn't teach me how to talk to girls or anything like that. I, you know, I just basically was on my own when it came to that. So, but because I was a basketball player at IU, mm. they kind of came to me and I didn't really have to do all that kind of cracking and flirting. <laughs> I would just say, yeah, come yeah. on, come on. <laughs> you know, and, and I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, cause, so, you know, so so going down to, to Bloomington, you know, I started, started, you know, liking the girls and, so, and seeing the, the girls liked me and, and so, being a, a finally a free lion, I was kind of crazy. <laughs> I wanted to go to all the parties. Yeah, sure. I wanted to talk to all the girls, and I didn't prioritize because uh, I didn't have priority. I didn't prioritize things like I should have because mm -hmm. I'm very immature. I was immature. I mean, like most kids are when they're freshmen or whatever. But I should have been your schoolwork, basketball, and then the extra, the you know, extracurricular activities. But all no, I had it all flopped. Thomas <laughs> Kirby. I wanted to go to the Frangy Pangy room. <laughs> I wanted to party at the Frangy Pangy room with the Q dolls, the Kappas, the Fidel's Hall. I mean, I wanted to do all that. <laughs> I wanted to chase the girls. You know, and that was my problem with coach. He wanted me to prioritize myself, school, basketball, and then other, the other things. And that's why I always found myself in the doghouse because I didn't prioritize myself. Well, let's, let's talk about that acclimation when you're first getting in there. And, and you know, what was it even like in, in practice going from a, a practice at tech compared to one with coach Knight? And then were there any players already there who helped you with that acclimation? Oh, I'll tell you, that was like night and day, talking about the <laughs> high school practice and close night practice. Um, man, it was it was just intense. I mean, it, 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 when you go to practice at Indian University with Coach Knight, it, it was just intense the whole time. I mean, I remember we he wants you to be – I mean, when you go in the locker room, it, he had a picture of the devil on the wall in a defensive stance. <laughs> so the, that should tell you a lot right there. He wants you to play like a devil. He wants you to just be just just be mean and, and just work hard, which I, which I understand. But I remember one day in practice, we I guess we we're being timid. We we weren't being aggressive like he wants us to be. 
And he said, and I never did this drill before in my life. He said, he said, get in, you know, he said, of course, choice word, you know, get in this line and you six get in this line. And then when I roll the ball, I want you to dive on it, dive on it, loose ball drills. So I'm diving, so I'm going after the ball, but I'm not really diving at it. I'm, I'm really not getting the ball. Mm-hmm. And I'm diving, but I'm diving on the floor trying to get it, you know, and I'm probably Ray and I and Jim Robeson, the tallest ones on the team. So he expected me to get the ball every time. Mm-hmm. So I think after about four times, I didn't get the ball. Oh, Landon, you big pussy, you mother, you, you the biggest mother, big, you people bleep out of here, you pussy asshole. Get over here in the line by yourself and go against the whole team. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so here I am diving on the floor against, the, you know, going one at a time with the whole team. And I mean, these guys, I mean, they even going harder, it seems like. So it's even harder for me to get the ball. And he's just cussing at me, get up, get up, get up. Just cussing at me. I'm like, oh, what did I get myself into? <laughs> and I mean, I got so mad that I mean, I was crying. I mean, I was, it, it was just, it was crazy. Mm. I mean, I, and then I just started, I just started, I just went crazy. I went, ah! <laughs> and I just went after the ball. I mean, I was grabbing the ball, I was throwing it, hit, hitting him and throwing the ball back and coaching. It was, it, just, it was crazy. Well, okay, so so much comes to mind, but I want to take a little bit of a half step back because you mentioned Ray Tolbert. I know that when you committed to Indiana, you actually got a letter from someone uh, named Ray Tolbert. What was that letter that he sent to you? And then what? how quickly did Ray become an important person for you at Indiana? Well, um, after I committed to Indiana University, I got I got a letter from Ray, and I can't remember what the letter said, but he was glad that I was coming there. But I remember how he ended it. He ended it, the other big man, and I'm never going to forget that. Mm. And and he, I mean, Ray was the kind of person. I mean, he was. We kind of had the same things in common. I mean, he loved music. I loved music. He played music. Um, I listened to you all's interview with him he said all, all he talked about was oh i could play the piano and the bass man that dude plays the plays the piano the bass drums guitar congas he plays <laughs> sings he does all that stuff i mean and and he became a very important person because he was the one that always was there you know he always had my back he was always one encouraging me at times where I was thinking about, you know, I need to get the hell out of here. And I mean, and he was, and I, and he was a person I knew that I could always confide in and go and talk to and that kind of thing. I had my best relationship, you know, with Ray and, um, and I, and I love him to this day. I mean, even when I, even, you know, after my accident, I mean, Ray was always there, you know, when I was when I was going through my trials and tribulations and I was working myself to be independent, you know, Ray was always there to encourage me. And then that's my boy. How how did Ray convince you though to stay at Indiana? Because I know there were times obviously where you were like, I'm done. You know every how, year. <laughs> every year. And what would he say to you? How would he convince you? 
Well, of course, with positive words, but he would all also pull his face out. <laughs> I would go by his room, you know, and I and I and I would be feeling down. He was like, he was like, Landon, man, we need you, man. We need you, Landon. He said, he said, we we need your we need your talent, Landon. We need you. We you know we we got some goals here that we want to achieve. We want to win the national championship. We we can't do that without you, Landon. We need you, Landon. I was like, oh, man, this, but this Bobby Knight dude, this dude, I'm like, <laughs> man, this dude, man, I, I haven't been called so many names. I've been called names all my life, but this dude is something else calling me names. <laughs> and then he would pull his face out, and he would start thumping and, you know, and playing. I'm like, I started, it started calming me down a little bit. You know, he's like, he would even make up songs before I played the bass. Landon, we need you. Come on, Landon, play. Need you to play. We need you. I mean, and it just and that just, and that just kind of helped me out a lot with with him, you know, encouraging me like that. And and I just I thought I said, okay, I'll stick it out, but it's it's hell. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, music therapy. Well, in that first yeah. season, you want to talk about trials and tribulations. I mean, your first trip as an Indiana Hoosier is to go to Alaska, where some crazy, crazy stuff happened. Can you talk about like what what your perspective was on that as it was going down in Alaska and the fallout afterwards with Coach Knight? Because that that was a rough start to a career. Very rough. Um I've heard your other interviews with Steve and with Ray and what you all talked about and stuff like that. And uh, they were talking about there were people in Alaska smoking. That that wasn't it. That What happened in Alaska is when a certain person went and told an assistant coach that there were people on the team that smoked marijuana. That's where that's where the, that's where it all came to to fruition in Alaska. Mm. But then once we get back from Alaska and get back to Bloomington, oh my goodness. The assistant coach told Coach Knight. Oh boy. After after Bush Carter had told the assistant coach that there were players on the team smoking smoking marijuana. And so we had a meeting eight o'clock in the morning in, in the locker room at Assembly Hall. And I had this alarm clock. It's it's a ghetto alarm clock. <laughs> I don't know if my parents got it from the goodwill or what. I, but this alarm clock gave me problems all three years that I was at it. <laughs> I would set the alarm like at seven o'clock, and the thing would just it would not go off. Sometimes <laughs> it it, did, it worked sometimes, and sometimes it didn't work. So, okay, I'm, lay, I'm sleeping in bed and I'm thinking my alarm clock is going to go off so my phone rings and I pick up the phone and it's assistant coach. One of the assistant coach said, Landon, where the F are you at? And I look at the clock and it's like 810. Oh. I'm like, oh! <laughs> so, I run, so, I, so I just put on my clothes and I run to Assembly Hall and I think one of the assistant coach picked me up at McNutt because we, we, we stayed in GRC. Now they call it Ashton. Oh, okay. Ashton used to be called GRC right across from Teeter Choir. Yeah. Because I wanted I wanted a single. I didn't want I didn't want to have a roommate. I want I want to be able to pick my roommates, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, 
they picked us, one of the assistant coaches or managers, whatever, picked me up at, at McNutt. And so they take me to the assembly hall. So then I, I, I walk down there and, and all the assistant coaches are standing outside the door. Oh, they look so mean. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. So then I walk in the locker room and Bush Carter and, and Woody kind of cussed me out for being late. I said, man, my alarm, my alarm didn't go off, man. So I sit down. Coach Knight walks in and he walks straight to me. Do you smoke reefer landing off? Just, I mean, straight to me. <laughs> I'm like, yes. <laughs> oh, how many you smoke a day? How many who you smoke? Just goes off on me. And, 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 prior to, and prior to that meeting, we have a, a meeting at one of the guys that really coach kind of wanted to get rid of, Tommy Baker. We have a meeting. And they're trying to make up this lie on, on what to tell the coaches about about the reaper thing, and and I'm and I'm a kind of a truthful person. I don't yeah. like lying because I was like weighing the odds when I was in my room. I was like, tell if I tell a lie and get caught, blah blah blah. I said I'm going to just tell the truth, mm. and that's what I did. And so then you know other guys on the team. You know, it, it was a crazy situation. I mean, it was, I thought I was gone. I, th mm -hmm. I thought I was, I thought I wasn't going to make the team. And so then go back to GRC, back to my dorm. I know that we have another meeting like at three o'clock and he's going to tell us what he's going to do. He told us, you know, if he's going to get rid of us. Cause I mean, majority of the team smoked weed. <laughs> right. Sure. And um, so I was, if he, if he would have got rid of everybody, he probably would have been only five people left <laughs> on the team. So then we 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 go back we go back to the locker room, and he says, "Well, I've made a decision." He said, "He said these three people." He said, "No, he didn't say three. He said, when I name your name, when I name your when I name your name, he said I want you to leave Indiana University and never come back." Ooh. And he went, he said, Tommy Baker, Don Cox, Jim Robeson, and then he went. And I swear he was getting ready to say my name. <laughs> he went like this. He said, you three, get the F out of here. And those three got up and left. And he said, well, these players, and he named the other players, he said, you are on permanent probation for as long as as you have, and as long as I'm alive, you're on permanent probation. <laughs> so I'm on permanent probation now. <laughs> so then, so then he called. All, he said, "I'm going to call all your parents." Oh. And so, so, so let me kind of go back a little bit. I'm kind of go back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. I'm not proud of this. What I'm going to tell you. Okay. I was walking with Butch Carter, you know, because we all we we all stayed in GRC Ashton, and we were walking together. We were talking. And we went to a 7-Eleven. It used to be a 7-Eleven right over, right over there by GRC. So we went into 7-Eleven, and we never had any money or anything like that. I think they should start paying athletes because we're bringing a lot of money into this. So I didn't have any money. And so we in 7-Eleven, I think he bought something. Butch Carter bought something. So I grabbed a, a, a three musketeer and put it in my pocket. Mm -hmm. I'm not proud of that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't raised to be a thief or anything like that, so I wasn't proud of that. But I wanted I wanted the three musketeers, and I didn't have any money. So when we when we walking back to the dorm, I pull out the three musketeer and start eating it. And he knew that I and Bush knew that I didn't go, you know, I didn't buy anything. So he's like, Where did you get that? He said, Where'd you get that? I said, Well, I, I took it. He said, Don't you know you shouldn't do that? Blah blah. I said, I know, I know, but man, I was hungry. He said, No, blah. So he got all oh. he said, Man, you know, I can take this to coach and you'll be in trouble, blah, 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 blah. I said, I said, I know you could. He said, Well, he said, I'm gonna keep this between me and you. He said, but if I if you hear of you or see you doing it again, I'm gonna go and tell coach. I was like, okay, Bus, that's cool. You know, you know, that's I thank you for the break. Thank you for giving me a break. I'm not telling them. But then they're going back to him calling our parents back. Now the whole time we were in the locker room and we were spilling I was spilling my guts on whatever, you know, me smoking weed and all that. <laughs> and uh I didn't know that the assistant coaches was, was Sit up there like a with a like a stenographer, a stenographer, and taking all the notes and everything that we said. So my parents did, of course, my parents were the first one there. I'm like, wow. Uh-huh. And so we in Coach Knight's office, and Coach Knight pulls out this this list. Landon said he started smoking weed. Landon said he started at this age. Landon said this is the person he smoked with. But he just just went down a list of everything uh-huh. I said. And don't you know? And then, 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 then what he said? He said, "Landon also stole a Three Musketeer bar <laughs> from Seven Eleven." Oh man! I said, "This guy is trying to get me kicked off the team." Why? When, this is about smoking weed. Why would Why would that come up? Yeah. I was like, man. I said, I, I said, I, I couldn't believe. I, I thought I was doomed, and so you know. And so from from that point on, you know, I mean, it was a rough year. And then later on in that year, after after that, after the the marijuana incident, I had a compound fracture in my in my little finger right here. Okay. Mm. I mean, this part of my this part of my finger was all the way down here, mm. and my bone and my bone, the white bone, was sticking out. Oh. Man, I was such in shock, man, because I had never seen anything like well, that. From basketball? Was it during a game or what? Glenn Grunwald, in practice, Glenn Grunwald threw me a real low, hard pass, and I went down with my finger to get it, and the ball bounced up and hit my little finger, and it gave me oh. a compound fracture oh. in practice. So, so we had, so they had to rush, they had to rush me to Indianapolis. I'm sitting in the back of the car. Looking at my finger the whole time, keeping ice on it and everything. And Coach Knight wasn't at that practice either. And got got it operated on. And don't you know the next day I was practicing? What? The next day I was practicing. And uh, and I and I watched the sports now. And they the guys break their fi- their finger. I hear broken fingers, and they and they're out a week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing the next day in practice. Wow. I remember they- I had a class with Bush Carter. And he would, and of course, we sat next to each other. And I was sitting there taking notes. And Bush made a comment. Bush, he said, man, he said, he looked at my hand. He said, man, I bet that hurt. I was sitting there in class, and my hand was 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 actually coming off the table throbbing. Mm. Uh. 
But at three o'clock, I was at practice practicing. No, wait, I got to ask though about the Butch thing. So that's your freshman year and Butch yes. is, is older than you. You know, he's yes. a year ab uh, above you. Did I, think, that... no, he, I think he was a junior. Was he a junior? So, oh yeah, you're right, you're right. So did that, did that affect your relationship with Butch for the rest of your time together at Indiana? Did you just not trust him? Because I know it, it caused problems with the rest of the team with Butch too, that truthfully have lasted to where we are now. Some guys just don't like Butch. But what was your relationship with Butch after you knew that he fucking ratted you out for the Three Musketeer bar? You know what? Our relationship was done, man. Yeah. I was like, I said, I'm, I'm basically not going to say anything around this dude. I mean, he was, of course, we was on the same court and we was on the court and everything. We were talking the court, you know, you know, switch or you get, you're about to get a pick or something. But other than that, I didn't really have a, uh, any kind of uh, conversation or relationship with him anymore after that. I mean, I, I was done, you know, with that. Sure. I mean, cause, why? Why would that come up? Makes no sense. I mean, he's just—he's just a snitch, a rat. It's, and 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 I was like, okay, I've already admitted that what I've done and everything. I don't know why he and he and he had to volunteer that because he was the only one that knew. Right. Yeah. So he volunteered telling Coach Knight that. Hmm. So to me, he did not want me on the team. Wow. So this is a really tumultuous start to your career and the, and the team's losing a bunch of games, you know, early in the season, but it starts to, to work itself out. And even though you guys don't get invited to the NCAA, there's this invite to the NIT. So can you kind of start to talk about how the team started coming together and this run in the NIT sort of fell together because based on the dysfunction at the start of the season, you, you guys shouldn't have even gotten that invite and you certainly shouldn't have gone on a tear in that tournament. That is true. I mean, we just had some resilient players, man. I mean, we, we all had a go. We all had a go. And when you play the game, I mean, the, the, when you play the game, you, you play to win. You, I mean, who, no one likes to lose. Mm -hmm. No, and, and I really hate to lose. I don't care if we playing marbles or we play <laughs> if we playing Madden. I want to kick your butt. Yeah. I mean, and 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 and, uh, and Coach Knight hates to lose. I mean, I hate to lose too. But this dude takes hating hating losing to the to the tenth power. Right. I mean, it's just unbelievable. But so so we 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 knew that we and I mean I think we had. We had managers play. I mean, we had managers substitute. We, we we didn't have enough players. Right. Then we had we got Steve Reese. You remember Steve Reese? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know that I think he was a baseball player. <laughs> and so we had Steve Reese, and he he played with us. But I mean that, you know, usually like when you have your 12, 13 player, fourteen players, you know, you during practice you can kind of take a break. You say, Risley, come in for me. You take a break, and then you say, Risley, I'll come back in. You couldn't take no breaks. Mm. You had to play the whole the whole three hours. You had to play the whole time. Mm. I mean, it was rough. And I mean, and, and, and he was he was just in a tirade the whole time because we had a bad, bad season. And I mean, we he was he was just 
he was just mean. <laughs> and just and just and, and that freshman, it was just that was a rough year. You know, when then with me at the broken finger, it was it was just tough. And then, you know, I mean, in the back of my mind, I knew that, you know, some guys in the team didn't want me to play, but I didn't care because, you know, I wanted to quit several times, but then I would go by Ray's and then he would dump me back on the team. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, I, then I, just, I just made a decision. I said, I'm, you know, I'm going to stick it out and I'm just going to play my hardest. I'm going to try to get the best out of this situation. I said, it's, it's tough. It's tough in this situation, but I'm going to work it out. I'm going to try to get the best out of myself. And then we went to New York, stayed in the Waldorf Historia. Yeah. Nice. That was nice. And every <laughs> night, I remember every night on the TV, they played Richard Pryor's Which Way Is Up. Oh, nice. Oh. Nice. And I mean, and, and I mean, I was I would hang with Randy and Ted, and we would just sit there and watch Which, which Way Is Up every night. And then, then, you know, there were even times you know, Randy and Ted and I, we, we would look out the window because, you know, this is the city that never sleeps, right? Yeah. So always people walking on the sidewalks. We would take a thing of water and drop it on people. <laughs> you know, that's just, you know, because we're young, man. We were doing stupid stuff. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and then, and, and then we, then, you know, we, and then we went on and played and we, we won the games. And I mean, it, it was, it was very satisfying to win the NIT. But I tell you, me, I was 6'9", 215 pounds, guarding Joe Barry Carroll. Yeah, that dude was what seven foot two, two sixty seventy. Man, if it wasn't for Ray, man, he would have killed me. <laughs> Ray had my back. I mean, Joe Barry Carroll would shoot over me. Ray would come out of nowhere and block his shot. I was like, right on, Ray, my man. <laughs> you know, and so Ray, Ray had my back defensively, and he had my back, you know, off the court, under court, and off the court. And it's and winning in NIT, I mean, it was a lot of fanfare when we got back to, to Bloomington. But, you know, it was, it was a little bit of fanfare, but it wasn't nothing like in 81. Oh, we're gonna get there. Well, when you're in Madison Square Garden, the 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 world center of basketball in a lot of ways, the Mecca. Mecca. I mean, we all know it's really Assembly Hall in Bloomington, but the the outside world will give it to Madison Square Garden. And you're playing your arch rivals, and and after you've gone through a season like that, you ever take a moment and be like, "It's all worth it." This is this is why I endured to get to a game like this and a win like this? Is that the kind of thing that, that gives you what you need to come back the next year? Very, very satisfying. Winning makes you feel good. <laughs> winning, winning, I mean, winning is everything. I mean, and, and we knew the coach not, I mean, he prepared us better. I mean, man, I, there's not one thing that we did not know about that the, our opponents. I mean, we knew we knew their offense. We knew their defense. We knew everything about them. They would have, he would write on the board, he, he would have like on the board, every individual player on the board and then it would say what their what their pros and their cons were. Wow. We would go, so we would take our little notebooks. We would go up there, I'd say, okay, I'm, I'm going Joe Barry Carroll and Arnett Holman. And I would write down 
Oh, he likes to go right. He likes to go left. He's strong on the side. Blah, blah, blah. And write that down. I mean, and then and then when we, when we was on the court, the red team will go through their offense and their defense. So he will work us out on their de- how to score on their defense. And then on, when they played offense, how to stop their offense. We were just we were just completely uh, ready for whoever. I mean, th- there's no way we, we should have lost. There's no way we should have lost because we were so prepared. I, I have two questions about that. One is, so you think back to like the start of the year. First off, your first practice, which is, you know, devil in the defensive stance and how crazy that was. <laughs> yes. And and first game, and, and we all know what Coach Knight is like when you lose. And so I can't imagine what it's like to fly to Alaska and lose to Pepperdine and Texas A&M. So, but then I am wondering at some point in that year, Landon, even though you're really young the whole year, obviously, is there a point where you realize this dude, as crazy as he is, is a genius? Like, when does it occur to you, or is it not till years after you play for him? When do you realize you are playing for a guy who is that good? Well, I, I, when I was young like that, I, I don't think I said genius. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew, I, knew that he, I, I knew that he knew the game very well. Okay. Um, and I knew that he was the best coach. I mean, um, I didn't like some of his antics. I didn't like, you know, having my, my trunks, my gym trunks pulled down to see if I had any balls. <laughs> oh, um, did that really happen? Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, he said I was playing like a pussy. He said, do you have any balls? And he pulled my trunks down to see if I had any balls. And, and, and it's, it's, you know, those those kind of ant- antics I did not like. Oh, I can uh, understand I that. Li- I, didn't, I did not like, you know, having to run those those little steep assembly hall steps. Yeah. Those, you know, my feet are size 16. Uh, those assembly hall steps were probably what? 12 inches. <laughs> I could easily fell and broke my neck running those things. Yeah, for sure. You know, but uh, you know, in the, in the loose ball drills, but all those things, all those things that he did to us was all to put us to to just to just make us the toughest team and the best team that any team would ever have to play against. I mean, even though and, and individually, you know, me had to dive on, you know, do do all that, you know individually it was making me the best player see what what I think my problem was with, with coach Knight he told me that that with my I think it was the end of my freshman year he said with all the talent that he seen me with and, and everything that he that he seen me do he said you could be the best player that ever played at Indiana University wow why did he feel that way and when I did not play like that Oh my goodness. Mm. He 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 did not like that. You know, he did not like that when I did not play like the best player that ever played at Indiana University. Because he expected so much out of me. He expected me to just to, to just be the best. Right. And when I was lackadaisically play in practice and not play my hardest or you know die for this ball, you know, it just it just frustrated him. And you know, and I and you know, after you know, after all these years, I can see why he got better, why he got so upset at me because I should have been given a hundred percent all the time. Every time I stepped on the court, practice, game, 
all the time in the school. And I should just gave 100% all the time because all he wanted was the best for me individually and the best for us collectively as a team. And at that age, I've got to imagine, we know how brilliant he was working on the psychology of different players, but that, that did, did he ever go the other way and, and just say, you're, you're not even good enough to be on this team? Because I wonder how much, how long it takes for him to figure out what buttons to push to finally get the best out of you. Because if you hear, Oh, I could be the greatest ever. I'm 18, 19 years old. That means I don't, I don't even have to play that hard rather than the re- reverse of saying, Oh, now I really need to bust it to fulfill right. that. I did not have that attitude. Yeah. He, uh, he told me he puts every button he possibly could to get me motivated. <laughs> he, said, uh, he said, I tried being hard on you. I made you run. I mean, you know, I've, I've been nice to you. I've not talked to you. Uh, I let to, told don't have the team talking to you. Or I was just made, you know, had me out on the island by myself. And then, you know, it, but it all boiled down to me. Right. You know, it boiled down to what I wanted to do. And, uh, and, and I hated that I had to go through that. I should have been more mature about that. But, man, I just, I you know, I just didn't have my, I was just too immature. But then, but then once I got my act together and I said, I'm, I'm tired of this, I'm going to get my act together. I need, I need to, I want to get the best out of myself. I'm, I need to put my foot down in my grades. I need, I need to play harder on the court every time I step on the court. And once I kept myself together, everything turned around. You know, I mean, you it shouldn't take other people to to motivate you to be successful. You should you should be want to be successful within yourself. And I didn't I didn't have that feeling, but the, but I eventually got there though. Yes, you did. I, one of the things we love doing on this podcast that's just so enlightening is we hear about all these other names of people like you've talked about that helped you that were influences in your life from even well before Indiana. But we love hearing about some of these people behind the scenes at Indiana that were important. There were two people that I know meant a lot to you. And especially as you talk about trying to get your life right with like education, Buzz Kirpius and Anitra House are two people that I know you've brought up in the past. Can you tell uh, us who they were, what they did and why they were meaningful to you? Well, Buzz Kirby's was a, was the head of the academic program. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's so you know I saw her a lot. Um, and Anitra, Anitra worked in the academic program, but she was the one that would help us out. She was like our tutor. Got it. <clears throat> and um, and Ray and I's Ray and I's girlfriend at the time. We're jealous of Anitra because we were always at her house, you know, trying to get our grades together. And they were jealous, thinking that we was over there, you know, doing some some freaky dinky with Anitra. <laughs> and we wasn't doing anything like that. We were just trying to get our studies together. Right. But, uh, but, but, uh, but, but Buzz Kerpius, I mean, she was always there. She was always there motivating me and, you know, urging me to, to get the best out of my abilities and it was just I just had I just had so much positivity coming from all kind of different ways, um, and it, and but even though it could have been a million people talking to me to try to get me on the right track, it all boiled down to me. Right. 
did I did I want to go to the library and study? Did I did I want to while I'm in the room reading a book and the phone rings and the girl says, Landon, come over. And it was up to me not to close that book and go over there, over that girl's house. Because there was a lot of times where I was you know I need to study. Landon, come see me. And I was gone. <laughs> yeah. That was, you know, it, but it was it was up to me. Oh uh, no, baby, I'll come see you, you know, tomorrow or something. You know, I had I had to make that, you know, that decision. You know, so once I started doing that, then that's when everything started rolling to the positivity. So let's talk about as as you're going from freshman to sophomore year, you've got one of your teammates, Mike Woodson, going to the Pan Am Games. This phenom point guard, you know, who's going to show up in the fall named Isaiah Thomas. I'm wondering, one, were you at all a little upset that you didn't get to participate in that? Or did you kind of know you weren't ready for that? And then... And then let's let's talk about when Zeke gets to campus and and what this guy's actually like as a human being and and as a teammate. I didn't I didn't want to play on the Pan Am team. <laughs> just, just like Ray. I was like I, I, was, I was like yeah, I, I could be I want to be coached in September to February or whatever. I, I do not want to be there during the summer, but. But I do, I do have a story. Oh, let's hear it. Um, during that, during that summer, I was taking, I was taking classes. I was taking classes in the summer of that year, and um, I was in GRC, Ashton, in my room, and the phone rang, and it was, I think it was Coach Cruz, said, "Landing, you know, come down to Assembly Hall. We want to talk to you." I'm like, oh man, am I in trouble again? What did I do this time? <laughs> I'm getting good grades in summer school. Because <laughs> I'm only taking a few hours. It's those 15 hours that was killing me. Yeah. But anyway, I go to Assembly Hall. I go, they tell me to go in the locker room and put on my put on my, you know, my warm-ups. I'm like, man, what they want me to do? So I go in there and then I walk on the floor, and it's Ralph Sampson on the floor. Whoa. You know he he's a he's he's a, he's coming in as a freshman like Isaiah. Yeah. And but you know he's he's already said he's going to Virginia. So I'll, I'll go okay, Ralph Sampson. I'm like okay. It's like well, Landy, we you know we want you to go one on one with Ralph Sampson. I'm like okay. So we warm up a little bit and then we start playing one on one. I think we play like to 21 or something like that. So I'm like, I do a little, little freaky dicky dicky, and I pull up a jump shot in the corner, and pow! He throws, he throws my shot in the stands. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, this dude's no joke. <laughs> so then I'm like, okay, this, this dude, this dude got some skills. So then I started, I said, I started working my quickness on him. I started taking him to the right, taking him to the left, laying the ball up, shooting jump hooks on him, dunking a few times. And then he, he started saying, oh, this guy, this that guy's quicker than me. You know, I, I get to kind of lay back. So then I would fake like I'm going to go to the basket. He would back up. And I put that little mm-hmm. jump wrong. Yes. We played two games. He didn't beat me one time. Nice. Wow. He did not beat me one time. Wow. And I, I, and I have another. I saw him at the NBA All-Star game. I think it was in L.A. And I saw him. And he was with his kids. And I kind of lied to his kids. I said, well, I said, I said, I said, I'm good friends with your, your father. I said, 
we played in one on one. He beat me because oh, I wanted his kids. I wanted his kids to feel good. Nice. I don't want to tell his kids I kicked his dad, her dad, their daddy's booty. <laughs> but that was it. But then, but then, you know, the the phenom, you know, the phenom came in Isaiah Thomas. I had heard about him. I never seen him play or anything. But uh, right away, I knew that I knew he was special. Right away, when we were playing, when we were practicing, I said, "This dude." And and what was? It was like God just gave us this dude mm-hmm. because. After the, after Tommy Baker was off the team, because Tommy Baker was a pure point guard. After he got kicked off the team, our point guards were Butch Carter and Randy Whitman. Man. They are not point guards. <laughs> they are two guards. So basically, I didn't get a lot of passes. <laughs> and usually big men, most big men like to get fed. Especially me, because I felt that I was unstoppable. And then I could score on anybody in the country if I wanted to. So when I didn't get the when I didn't get the ball, I was kind of frustrated. So could could but I never realized they, they really couldn't get me the ball because they were two guards. I mean, mm-hmm. they just weren't used to passing like a point guard. But when Isaiah got there, my dreams were answered. Because mm. this guy gets you the ball and, 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 and unbelievably. I mean, now at first, a lot of the times I did get to play with Isaiah because he was on the white team, on the starting team. And I was going through doghouse stuff. Yep. I was on the red team. So I really didn't play. I was mainly playing against Isaiah all the time. But it kind of worked out because really Ray and I was really the only ones that could stop each other in practice. We gave each other the most and best competition. Ran out together, playing sure. against each other. So that kind of worked out. But Isaiah, I mean, the guy would come to the basket, and I would try to block his shot, and he would just and he would just lay it up over my like he knew how high I could jump, and would just perfectly lay it over over my fingers when I was trying to to block his shot, and then just all net. I'm like, man, this dude is tough. And then his then looking at his dribbling skills was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I said this dude, this dude could do anything he want, wants to do. He can score. He can score anytime he wants. And then on defense, you better not bobble the ball. Cause he will take it from you. Mm. The guy was awesome. Awesome basketball player. Funny guy. The first time I met the guy, I mean the first time I met him, we were playing Northwestern. And I had just got out of the shower and I had a towel on. And he said, Land, he was uh, he was at the he was at the door. He said, Landon, come here. And so I walked up, I walked up to the door and he grabbed my towel and he opened up the door and it was like 10 women standing behind him. And I was like, what you gonna do? And he just and he just had the towel and then he let go of the towel and, and I went back in the locker room. <laughs> you didn't care. He didn't care. <laughs> he didn't care. But, uh, but that was my first time meeting him at Northwestern, though. But that, was, but the first time playing with him was, was definitely at IU, and and the dude was phenomenal. And then he just got better. I mean, his competitive juices was so strong. I mean, he wasn't gonna let anybody outplay him. Now, see, if I'd had if I'd had his mentality in practice, uh, we wouldn't even have this practice. This this guy, every time he stepped on the court, he gave a hundred percent. 
Mm -hmm. I sometimes I would play 100% in practice, and sometimes I would play 60% in practice. And Knight wanted 100% every time he was on the court, every minute, every second. To take a quick pause, because you just in the last five minutes mentioned playing with Isaiah Thomas, playing one-on-one -on -one against Ralph Sampson. You also got to play against Magic Johnson, Kevin McHale, Michael Thompson, Joe Barry Carroll. I didn't play against Michael Thompson. Oh, you didn't? But McHale you did. But McHale you did, right? Yes. So, I mean, we are Bill talking. Hubbard. Yeah, Bill I mean, Hubbard. I mean, obviously when you're playing, they're your peers. So you don't think about, oh, it's Magic Johnson. He's going to end up being one of the five best basketball players ever. Or Isaiah Thomas, one of the, maybe the best point guard of all time. I'm playing with him. But when you look back on it now, Landon, and think about how special that group of talent was, what, what, what goes through your head just trying to put that in perspective? The one thing I think I, that I think of, the Big Ten was so loaded back then. Yeah. I mean, when I think about it, my freshman year, Magic won. My sophomore year, um, Louisville won, but in the final four was Iowa and Purdue. Right. And then my junior year, we won. The Big yeah. Ten was just so loaded. I mean, Herb Williams. Yeah, Herb Williams. Clark Kellogg, Kelvin Ramsey, Carter Scott for Ohio State. Then you had Magic Johnson, Greg Kelser, Jay Benson for Michigan State. Um, man, then for Iowa, you had um, Craft system, you know, weight, those guys, Kenny Arnold, you know, they were pretty. I think he went to the pros. I mean, the Big Ten was so stacked. The only one we really had an easy time with was Northwestern at that time. Right. The Northwestern, <laughs> we would, you know, we would do the little, you know, I, I jokingly say this, we would, you know, take the little fake, like we're going to throw water on them and, and have confetti in it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, with Northwestern, I mean, they were the weakest team in the Big Ten. But, I mean, I mean, even uh, Wisconsin, they had Wesley Matthews. Right. Uh, Claude Gregory. Um, man, the Big Ten was just so, so tough. When, when you hear people now, just to jump ahead real quick, when you hear people now, oh, you can't expect Indiana to be so good anymore because the Big Ten is just so tough. It's tougher than it ever was. That's just got to piss you off. It really does. I mean, yeah. because the Big Ten, the Big Ten is tough. Yeah, but uh, but I mean, it's not the toughest. I, I think I think it's. I mean, it's been it's it's tough. It's been kind of watered down. This I mean, the last couple of years compared to us is watered down. It's still tough. Right. But I mean, man, the three the three years I played, man, and, and prior to that, and then later on, I mean. The Big Ten is just—it's been real, and now they added uh, these other teams like <laughs> Rutgers. <laughs> Rutgers, we would—we would—we would have, man, we would have did globe trotter tricks on them, man. And, and Penn State, Penn State basketball, Penn State. I mean, come on. All right, well, Nebraska. look, we're not gonna—we're not gonna get into that right now. We got to talk a little bit about your sophomore year. Because this—this okay. is—it's—it's it's Woody's senior season, right? And and you guys, this this should be a, a good team, a team a lot of people are looking at to compete, not just in the Big Ten, but nationally. And then the injuries start to pile up with Woody, with Whitman. 
what what was that season going through and with you obviously you it still hasn't clicked the light hasn't gone on for you yet so kind of take us through what that year was like battling with the injuries trying to find an identity as a team and as an individual when these high expectations seem like they're going to start crumbling as some of the best players are aren't on the floor I mean, I still remember that Sports Illustrated uh, cover with with IU Indiana number one on there. I remember that someplace. So, you know, so when you have when you're number one in the country, already I, everyone thinks the Indiana University is the best basketball is a basketball college. Mm-hmm. So we already have a bullseye on our back. Now we're number one in the country. So the bullseye is even bigger, and losing Mike Woodson, I mean that that was that was our man, that was that was our score, and I mean, I never said so many picks for one person in my life. <laughs> I never said so many screens. I mean, I was hoping that he would set a screen for me one day, but he never did. <laughs> but, but I mean, but but losing him, even we 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 did not give up on ourselves. But we knew that was a good twenty points that you know that was lost. Yeah. So we would. So we we just we just knew. I, I I was thinking I need to score more. I need to do more. But we did not. We did not coast. He just coached the same way the whole time. You know, practices were still hard. You know, we, he still said he still prepared as well. But we knew that without Woody. We just go. Was we just had to get extras out of out of out of other people. Ray had to score more. Isaiah needed to take over more. Butch needed to score more. Not like and then Randy went down, and I mean he's one of the smartest people players ever on the team. And then so Ted had to step up, and I mean just everybody had to step up if we wanted to reach our goal. And to reach our goal was, to, our goal was to win the national championship. And we said we we think we thought we could still do it without Woodson even though we knew it was going to be a little bit harder without Woody. But that's my captain, and I hated that he went down. And when he came back, yeah, that was like a miracle, man. It was like a miracle. And then we played Iowa, and he hit like his first four shots. So I was like, man, this we're back. We're back. <laughs> and let me tell you a story. The game before that Iowa game, we played Illinois. And they, Illinois, that Eddie Johnson, and uh, Mark they had Holcomb that used to play at IU, but he left and went to Illinois. They had Mark Smith. I think I don't know. If, I don't know if Derek Harper was there. Derek Harper might have came the next year. We they 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 beat us down by twenty something, but I had a good game. I had twenty four. Oh, and so on. So I'm like, I said, man, I'm, I'm getting back. I'm getting back. I said, man, I, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna keep this going. I'm gonna keep this going. And then, what, then we played Iowa. I said, I'm gonna keep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep doing playing positive. I'm gonna keep doing, doing what I'm doing. So Woody came out hitting his first four shots, and I'm like, yeah, Woody. And then he probably missed his next six or seven. <laughs> uh, and then I remember I shot two shots, and my second shot that I hit, I mean, I scored. We running down the court, and Woody says, "Landon, stop shooting." What? I'm like, I'm like, what? <laughs> stop shooting. So you know, so I looked at that. I'm like, I said, now I can listen to him, 
<laughs> and stop shooting and not play not play my game, or I could just say, bug this, I'm gonna play my game. Now, now coach would have said stop shooting, and I would have kept shooting. He would have took me out. But I'm like, well, Mike Wilson told me to stop shooting. I'm like, no, I'm gonna if I I mean I'm not taking bad shots. I'm not taking anything out of out of you know out of character. I'm within my 18 in. I'm good at, from 18 in. Mm-hmm. I'm shooting my hook shots or whatever. And I, you know, I'm I'm not. It's not like I'm shooting crazy shots here. But he said that, and I was and I was to this day. I wonder why he said that. <laughs> but you know, I still love him. <laughs> <laughs> well, then the team does go on a magical run. I mean, Woody yes. comes back. You guys run through the end of the Big Ten, and you play a game at the end of the year for all the marbles, and you win the Big Ten championship. Now, you had won the NIT against Ohio State, which we all know Coach Knight loves to beat almost as much, maybe more, than Kentucky and Purdue. It's his alma mater. So you'd won the the NIT championship the year before. You won the Big Ten championship this year. You go on to the NCAA tournament. And it does not end the way anybody wants it to end, especially because of who you play. But what I do want to ask you, because I know that a certain gentleman by the name of Walter Jordan is an important person in your life as well. And you have talked about the Indiana-Purdue rivalry and how competitive you are. But Walter Jordan was a Purdue Boilermaker. And yet, he's one of your best friends. He's a good friend of mine. I mean, you got you got to talk us through this. He's a good friend of mine. Now, I got to kind of go back a little bit. Okay. When I was playing in the, on the Indiana All Star teams, because before we played Kentucky, we would play like teams with Walter Jordan, and Walter Jordan was on it. Wayne Walls on the team, different co- co- teams with college players on it. And I remember I was at the free throw line. Walter and Wayne Walls was on my right, and Walter Jordan was on the left. And now, and I dribbled the ball, and I said, "This is for you, Wayne Walls." And I shot the free throw and hit it. And then I got the ball and I dribbled it. I said, "This is for you, Walter Jordan." And I shot it here. And and that and that's how that was my first time meeting Walter Jordan. But through the years, he you know he he's just been a good friend. He used to have a a basketball tournament in Fort Wayne, where he's from, for the Island County Society for Crippled Children. And he used to always in, invite me down. He would have, like, Magic play, Isaiah play, pass mm-hmm. uh, NBA players play to raise money for the Island County Society for R- Crippled Children. And I would always go down there to support him. And just ever since then, we, we, just, we just stayed good friends. So I got to ask about the rivalries. So Purdue, Kentucky, any of the other Indiana, uh, you know, Big Ten rivals, who was the team that you grew to hate the most and want to beat the most? Purdue. Yes. All right, good. We'll I have like to that. say Purdue now. Kentucky, I didn't really feel a rivalry there. I mean, okay. they, they were tough. I mean, had to play against Sam Bowie, Mel Turpin, Dirk Minifield, Doug Masters. I mean, they had a good team, but I didn't feel a, a rivalry there. But I know one thing: Assembly Hall is loud with that seventeen plus thousand, but that twenty three thousand in Rupp Arena. Oh, I tell you, I was actually running down the court, and it seemed like my eardrums were ringing. <laughs> well, I got—I mean, they were loud. Yeah, man, they were loud. 
but I did not feel a rivalry. I did not even feel a rivalry with Ohio State. Mm. But with Purdue, I remember driving into Purdue on the bus because we didn't fly our airplane to, to Lafayette. We would always take the bus. So we would take the bus to Purdue. And once we entered Purdue and, like, got close to where we were staying and close to Macarena, the students actually, because, you know, the bus, big old Indiana University on it. Yeah. The students will actually throw rocks at our bus. Mm. No and class. I didn't like that. And then I remember during warm-ups, while we were warming up before the game, they students were actually yelling out there, talking about our mothers and our fathers, you know, cussing us out. Oh, Landy, your mother, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, man, I'm about to do some Ron Artest on you, boy, <laughs> talking about my mama. <laughs> no, but I mean, but in other places, I never had rocks thrown at our bus or being humiliated and cussed out and talked about a parent other than Purdue. No class, so no class up there. That's why the robbery was there. Mainly probably because of their fans. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. even because of the, the players, the fans. Yeah, the fans are a bunch of low A-holes. brow inbred assholes. Yes, I agree. <laughs> exactly. Uh, right. So I, I was gonna say, as I don't know if it happened during your sophomore year or afterwards, but was there was there a real effort by Coach Knight being so frustrated with you before your junior year to try to convince you to go pro? Was that that's something he really was pushing or you ever considered not coming back for your junior year? I don't think that came up to until my junior year when he wanted me to go pro. Okay. But, um, you know, when we lost to Purdue and everything, I mean, I, I was starting to, I was starting to play better. So I was, I was kind of, I was kind of in his good in his, you know, on his good side. Yeah. And so I was feeling good about myself. I was feeling good about my junior year. I was, you know, I was, you know, I still had some silliness in me, you know. I still had some silly. I still wanted to go to the Frangy Pangy room and do that. <laughs> I still wanted to chase girls and have girls chase me, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, but I was starting to come into myself, mm-hmm. and, you know, but then I still still had that problem in, in class. You know, sometimes I would go to class and I just didn't study. Sometimes I just didn't study the way I was supposed to study. And that that's that is a problem with Coach Knight because periodically through, through the semesters, he was send to all the players, he was send a note to our professors basically stating uh, how is Landon or how is Ray or Isaiah how are, or how are they doing so far as far as grades? And mine would always come back D's oh. or C, you know, something where he did that he did not like. And when and when they sent those things and it came back, you know, negative, maybe I might have had an F or so two of going going on. And I remember until I got my grades together during the preseason. He had me running my junior year, man. He had seven, seven o'clock in the morning. I had to meet Coach Cruz down at, at Memorial Stadium, had to run around Memorial Stadium, you know, for for so many laps. And then after, after that, I would have to run with the team. We would have to run from Assembly Hall to the golf course 
the assembly hall to the golf course, which is about a mile. Then once we on the golf course, run sprints, and then we had to run that two mile golf course or whatever it was. Oh. And then run run a mile back to assembly hall and then play ball. <laughs> and then if it was a Monday, Wednesday, or Friday, lift weights. Wow. So I was running at seven in the morning. I was doing that preseason with the with the team. And I didn't think I could I didn't think I could do it. And then one day, I don't know why I had this this stupid this stupid feeling because Ray used to win all the time on the on the on the golf course. I mean, it was uphills, downhills. He would always would no one ever beat Ray. Mm. So one day I said, I'm gonna stick with Ray. I'm not gonna try to beat him. I'm just gonna stick with Ray. So Ray and I, we're ahead of everybody. We blowing everybody away. You know, and then it's like hundred yards left. Here comes that monkey again that I that I felt when I was running track in high school. That monkey <laughs> jumped on my back and Ray was running backwards. Come on, Landy. Come on, man. Man, Ray, I can't make it. I can't make it, man. Go ahead. And man, then everybody just passed me up. I was running so slow. It was just like I was in high school again. <laughs> but I mean, you know, but Knight was just he was just trying to get 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 my mind together to just to get my grades or because he just kept punishing me with, with, you know, physical, physical activities, but I stuck it out. You know, I thought about quitting and then I had to go by Ray's room again. Yeah. Get the <laughs> bass out. Play the bass, you know, cause I thought about quitting again, but I stuck it out. Well, then that year, I mean, obviously it's magical for a number of reasons, but it actually, you had some big games early in the year. You had a huge game against Notre Dame. You scored 23 points, but the doghouse finds you again. And as the season progresses, the team doesn't start off great. You know, it's not a good start. Also, also I was MVP of the Indiana Classic. MVP of the Indiana Classic, right. So, and then you find your way back into the doghouse. And then the way that Coach Knight has told it over the years he and Steve Downing were ready to tell you and your parents that it was you could no longer help Indiana University. Correct. And it was a game against Northwestern that your parents came to, and there was a meeting going to be set for after the game. And yeah. what do you remember about that game specifically? And going into that game, did you have any sense that the end was coming for you in Indiana? Did Coach Knight lead you on at all there? No, he, he basically told me, he basically told me that, you know, after the game, he said, he said, you can't help any university. He said, we've tried everything to get you to play up to your potential, but you refuse to listen. So, you know, you can't help us at any university. So after the game, I'm going to meet with your parents. And I'm going to explain to them why we're, you know, kicking you off the team. And so I was down. I was like, man, dang, go. I said, I need a, I need, I need to be able to get in this game and show him that I'm uh, that I'm changing. So I did not get into the game. I think he put me in with like a few minutes left. And I went in the game and I think I was trying so hard, I messed up. So darn, I'm taking out the game. So I'm sitting on the bench. I'm like, man, that was my opportunity. I said, man, he is not going to give me another chance. But then with like two minutes left, he put me in the game. I'm like, oh, 
man, he put me in the game, man. I, and I probably played some of my best basketball in those two minutes, man. Because I can't remember how many I scored. But Nine I mean, points. I was, Nine uh, points in a few minutes, four or five from the field, and would later later go on to be a performance that Coach Knight would refer to as the best that any player could play the game of basketball. That that's how well he thought you played that last stretch, which changed your entire fortunes at Indiana. Yes, it did. And I'm so glad that God gave me the ability to do that because I did not want to leave Indiana University. I had our, I had put in so much of my time, my sweat, blood, tears, broken fingers. I mean, I put everything into it. And I did not, and I did not want to uh, let the guys down. I wanted to, I wanted to finish out in Indian University. I wanted to, to get the best out of my ability. I know I had to, I had to get more mature, man. That was one of the main things, man. I was just so did so many things so stupid. I just, I just needed to be more mature, and I just needed to prioritize and just get the best out of my ability in everything, off and on the basketball court, and. That was when I went in and did that. That was that would turn things around. I said I'm going to keep this up, and I started being a lot more mature about the way I went about things. I started going to class, taking my notes, you know, doing the thing, going to the library, studying instead of studying in my dorm where I could be easily distracted, <laughs> you know. And it just I just started doing the right things, and I think it's like a coin. Everything coincides together. If you're doing good in your class and you're not worrying about if you pass this test, and if, and you know that you you know you just you have no worries and you just play more freely and a lot better on the court. Now, if you were did I flunk this test and you got that on your mind, you're not going to play good on the court. So it all coincides. Doing well on the on the in the classroom and doing well on the court coincide together, and that's what I started doing. And everything changed from there. And and it clearly changed for you individually, but also now the team re- starts to go on one of the best runs a college basketball team has ever been on. Could you feel how your individual play was elevating the whole team? Did it just feel like all of a sudden now, uh, as we have a great analogy with Coach Knight, he, he puts together a car every season with all the different pieces in place. Was it really as simple as you getting your act together is why the whole team was suddenly clicking and hitting on all cylinders? I think so, but I think it also has to also has divine dimension involved in that because no one no one knew that I was going to end up in a wheelchair. You know, right. but God does. God did. I, you know, and uh, and I think the way everything gelled together in those last few games in the Big Ten season and during, and during the tournament, it just seemed like it was just, it was just divine. It's like God set it up because he loves me so much that he wanted me to go out as a winner. And because it, it just, it just clicked. You know, when, when I got it, when I worked myself back into the starting lineup, it just clicked like we were one of the best teams to ever play. And I just think that has a lot to do with God loving me and and setting me up that way because I, my play was better. And it, and it did seem like once my play was better, it did seem to 
uplift the other players too. It seemed, it seemed like everybody was playing well. Isaiah played better. Randy played better. Ted, every Ray just seemed like I was the missing link. And once that link came together, there was no way to break us apart. And we, we were awesome. Well, all of your teammates would say it. I mean, all of your teammates would say that that was the moment that changed everything. I went back and looked at box scores of all those games afterwards just to see what kind of run was it really. Now, the other thing to keep in mind here is that games weren't played in the hundreds back then. You know, I mean, it was different. You had a longer right. shot clock. But here's what no you did. No shot clock. Oh, was there no shot clock then? No shot clock, no three-point line. Right, no three-point line. Okay, so no shot clock. Forgive me. So your career up to this point in Indiana, you were averaging fewer than 10 points a game. You know, you, you, had, you had increased a little, but you were still in the single digits. From the time of the Northwestern game to the end of the year, including the tournament games, you scored double digits in nine of the 11 games. And here's the Big Ten run. After Northwestern, you still came off the bench for Wisconsin, which you scored eight points. You came off the bench for Iowa, where you scored 18 points and five rebounds and earned yourself the starting spot for the rest of the year. You then went on to do 16 and nine against Minnesota, 20 and five against Ohio State, 15 against Michigan, 16 and nine against Michigan State, the last game of the year to win the Big Ten championship, by the way. But here's what's amazing. Landon, do you know what you shot from the field from the Northwestern game till the end of the Big Ten? I don't know what I shot for the field doing those. I know that um, I you, shot 56 all, all, you know, total all year, but I don't know what I shot in those during that thing. You shot 68% from the field. From really? Northwestern. Six, <laughs> you did not miss. Wow. I mean, the games were like 7 of 11, 8 of 10, 4 of 5. Like, you didn't miss. You went 48 of 71 from Northwestern to the end of the Big Ten, shooting... My, and by the way, I, I want to talk about this at this moment. For the people that don't remember or are too young to have seen your game, I th when I've gone back and watched your game, you were not a guy who was just dunking and shooting layups. Mm -hmm. You were shooting jump shots. Like, that was your game. You were like LaMarcus Aldridge before LaMarcus Aldridge. That's kind of how I picture you um, yeah. when I've seen your game. You were running up and down. You were athletic as hell. But you were taking shots, like jump shots, 18 feet out, jump with, shots. With such a pretty soft touch. Oh, perfect. 68% from the field, from the Northwestern game through the championship game. If you count the games in the tournament where you're playing against the best teams in the country, you shot 62% for the rest of the year. 70, wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> 76 of 122 is what you shot from the Northwestern game till the national championship. But clearly, you are on fire and then you get into the NCAA tournament and you play Maryland. And now, Landon, this is it, right? Like, Isaiah's a sophomore. It's going to end up being his last year. Like, this is the chance for the team to roll and win a title. And your first game, because the tournament was played very different back then, is against a very good team in Maryland. Yes. Tell plus us about had, the... Plus, plus, we got a buy, had a buy, too. Right. We and, big team. and you have a chance to play in Bloomington if you win the game. Right. So right. talk us through, do you remember the Maryland game? And do you remember what you ended up doing in the Maryland game? Maryland, I tell you, um, we played like pros that game. 
Uh, Maryland came out beating us eight to nothing, and you know, and it's just it was kind of a disrespect because Lefty Giselle didn't know who Ray was, who I was, and we Ray and I just looked at each other and said, "Man, let's do it." And I remember, and I remember because when I was at when I was at IU the day before we we left to go to Dayton to play Maryland, I had a friend, and he's a sports fan. And I remember I left his room, and he was like, when I when I was leaving his room, he was going, Albert King, Buck Williams, oh. <laughs> Albert King. I mean, he, just, he just kept saying that to me. I was like, oh yeah, I'll get some for. So then when they when they came out eight nothing, I was like, oh okay, that, that they came up pretty strong. But then I scored the first two points, and it seemed like when I, I scored the first two points of both halves. See, like when I first scored the first points, I mean, we just, we just took over. I mean, Isaiah just, just took over and was passing the ball. I think he had 14 assists, and Ray was Ray's jumper was on. My jumper was on. I was shooting jump hooks. We Ray had five dunks. I had three dunks. We were just, we were just. I think that's probably the best game we ever played. Wow. And I mean, we were, we were playing like pros that we were. 20 points, seven rebounds, two assists, two block, uh, two steals, one block. I mean, you were filling every stat, every every box on the stat sheet you were filling and just kind of continuing this role you're on, which then sets up a UAB game where I'm actually curious about the UAB game because you didn't mm. play a bunch of minutes in that game. What happened you know, that in that game? game? That game, that game uh, I think I psyched myself out because I think I – Sometimes you can over, you know, I was just getting myself so fired up. I think I overfired myself up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was like, I'm playing, I'm playing these brothers. It's going to be like I'm playing at Douglas Park in Indianapolis. I said, because I'm, I, you know, I know I got to bring my game playing against these brothers. I said, I'm going, <laughs> I, I said, I got to be ready. And I think I was too fired up. You okay. know, I, I probably should have just took it just mellow. And just still been fired up, but not over overdo it. Sure. I overdid my fired upness, man. And I just I played a terrible game. I mean, I got in foul trouble early. Uh, I think I shot three or four shots and I missed a point. And I, it, it, I was just too fired up. And I want I just wanted to be I wanted to play so good for for the team. And I just I just overdid it. I just I just I mean I'm just I think I meditated too hard. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. And well, is that is that something you you realized in the moment, like after that game, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, and now I need to adjust for the next one. That's exactly what I did because I mean I was very I was just ready for that game. I mean I, I knew it was going to be a hard game. I mean because those guys beat Kentucky and Kentucky had beat us earlier at Assembly Hall, so you knew I knew that they wasn't going to be a joke, any joke, and. Uh, so I was, I was just, I just knew I was going to have a good game, and I just, I was just too ready, man. I, I think, yeah, I just, I just overdid it as far as firing myself up. I mean, I, when I shot my shot, I think I was, I was shooting too hard, and it's just, I mean, I just, when, the, but after that, I just knew that I couldn't fire myself up like that. I just had to play relaxed and play my game, and do what coach asked me to do. Well, you do against St. Joseph's where you and the whole team shoots like 70% from the field. 
you go for 14 points, five rebounds, two assists, and it sets up a game. You are now in the final four. You get to go to also, the final I four. In, also, I get MVP. MVP, that's games. right. Mm-hmm. You did. Yeah, don't forget and, that. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and the awards aren't done yet because now you get to go to the final four in Philadelphia where you play against LSU. Just walk us through. You're in the final four, man. I mean, you're in the final freaking four in Philadelphia. Just walk us through what the week is like leading up to the final four. What is Bloomington like when you came back? Well, actually, you beat St. Joseph's in Bloomington, right? For right. To, to go to the final four. What is Bloomington like after that? Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't an uproar. No, it wasn't an uproar. It's just uh, once I get back to the to the dorm, you know, I mean, I had some. Some people come by the room and celebrate and, you know, all that kind of thing. But it wasn't an uproar like, you know, when we won the national championship. Uh, yeah. But it but it felt good. You know, it was a big man on campus. Uh, you know, I think uh, went to the Frangie Pain room, got some nice slow dances, and, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and it, it, it was just a good feeling. But, you know, but after winning the St. Joseph, we still had a goal. You know, we hadn't achieved our goal. And going to the final four, we knew that was step one of, of our final goal. And I remember when we got when we got to Philly, we stayed we stayed in uh in New Jersey, in Cherry Hill, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. That's where our hotel was. So we were we wasn't in Philadelphia the whole okay. time. We just basically went to Philadelphia to practice and to, you know, for the game. So we stayed in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. So we was away from everybody, but um, I know when we was in the hotel, it was some LSU fans in there, mm. and I remember them clearly in 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 that Southern draw, Tiger Bay, Tiger Bay. <laughs> I mean, every time they saw us, they would say Tiger Bay, Tiger Bay. <laughs> <laughs> but we but we never we never said anything back to them or anything we just said okay yeah, look we they think we're target bay they think lsu i think lsu was like 31 and three they had a real good record you know and we had nine losses that year and no team in ncaa history had ever won the national championship with nine losses right so no one no one thought the indian university was going to do anything with nine losses Please, could you take us, um, you know, it can be in Bloomington as well, but then once you get there, how did Coach Knight prepare you, um, one, for the the spectacle of being in the Final Four, and then uh, how to go up against LSU? He didn't, he, he just treated it like uh, you wouldn't even know how big, how big the game was. He, right. he did the same thing every game. He would prepare us. We would have a breakdown of, of our of our opponents and what they pros and cons. I mean, he he didn't do anything different. So so basically, he didn't he didn't go off to and do anything different that you know that that we weren't used to. He just kept us in the same frame of mind of what we had to do to win this game. We what we what we did our walkthroughs with the with the red team still playing you know the opposition and and all that. He didn't change anything. He just, he kept us focused. And, um, and, but we knew that it was big, the final four, but we just knew that 
you know, one of the big signs on the wall in our locker room. Uh, victory favors those who make the fewest mistakes. We knew that we, we not, could not, couldn't go out there and make a whole lot of mistakes. We had a we had to play our offense. We set our screens and, and do everything, take good shots, play strong, hard up defense, rebound. And, you know, that's basically what, you know, our, my, our mindset was. I knew that I had to do what I had to do. I did not want to go and start shooting 25-footers <laughs> or anything like that. I had to still play within my game. I didn't want to do anything, but I knew I wanted to play hard and I wanted to, and I wanted to bring a, a victory home to Indiana University. And that's what our goal was, and that's what we was planning on achieving. Well, you don't just play hard. You play a lot in that Final Four game. You lead the team in minutes played. You play 38 of 40 minutes. You I lead, did? You did. <laughs> I you didn't played, know that. You laid the, Isaiah, and, didn't play, Isaiah didn't play more? No, Isaiah played only 26 minutes in that game. Isaiah wow. got himself in foul trouble in that game. Okay, yeah. So you play 38 minutes. You score 20 points. You lead the team in scoring. You go for eight rebounds. The team only had 67 points. You scored 20. By the way, LSU in that game scored 49. You beat a Final Four team 67 to 49. That ain't Tiger bait. That's Hoosier roadkill. That's what there that is. Go. All yeah. right. So now you are one step closer. You get to play in a championship game for Whoa, Don't forget, I was the MVP of that game, too. You were MVP of that <laughs> game, too. That's right. Keep the hardware coming. So, <laughs> you get anything for that? Do they give you a trophy or anything? A plaque? I, I got a – what did they give me? They, they, I got something. They, they gave me something. Yeah, okay. I can't All remember right. what it was. Can't remember what it was. I got so many awards. See, I this is playing. I mean I'm we, just playing. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I gotta tell you, man, this is the difference between a high-level athlete and me and Ward. If I won a participation award for being in a final 32 game, I would have it, it would be behind your head right now in the frame. Like every <laughs> award I had would be on display for everyone to see all the time. I, I mean, would know everything about it. And I, I, I remember that game. They just gave me like a it's like a, a plaque and it says and it says uh MVP of this game. I got the I get it's like a little plaque, you know, you open it up, you know, it wasn't nothing spectacular. Right. But it's cool. I still got it got it hanging on the wall. It's cool. Good. Well then now you're now it's North Carolina. And I know it's just another game. Uh, as far as the coach pr preparing you guys, but James Worthy's over there, and you have a lot less time. And they to, beat us earlier and they in beat the year. By they beat you. And and so you you did have that advantage in terms of knowing what was coming at you. You had prepared for them once before, but how do you turn it around so quickly when you'd had basically a week to prepare for LSU? How do you how do you get yourself locked in on what's coming next? Do you go back to your notebooks from the first game and look at that stuff, or or how's that play out? I didn't look at it. I, I didn't uh, look into the the notebook back then because we lost that game. So I think I probably tore those pages out. <laughs> so so basically, you know, we still taking notes, but we're taking notes for what coach was telling us. And I mean, at that time. Coach was was calm. I don't know if he took anything, but he, <laughs> I, I think it, I think I think it was our play. I think I, you know, the 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 way to to get Coach Knight not to cuss you out and to dog you out and push you or do whatever 
is to win and to play good. So we were playing pretty good at that time. And I mean, he, it wasn't a whole lot of cussing. It wasn't a whole lot of screaming and hollering. It was, it was almost like he was almost like a, a white Richard Pryor. He was telling, he was telling jokes. I mean, of course it was naughty jokes. Yeah, of course. Sure. Richard Pryor. (laughs) He was telling jokes and I mean, and, and, and he was calm. He would tell us what to do. We would write our notes and then we would go out and implement what he wanted us to do. And, um, and it was just smooth. It was just a smooth transition. I mean, it, you know, us winning the last few games of the Big Ten going into the tournament, it really calmed him down. Mm. Well, the other Thank thing God. that happened, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other thing we have to talk about when you're talking about the 1981 championship game is that it almost doesn't get played because the president is shot. So just walk us through what you remember about finding out that Reagan was shot and then what the hours were like before the game as you waited to hear if you were even going to play the game. Yeah, I remember we were sitting in the room and uh, was watching the news and they saw that the president, you know, there was an assassination attempt and everything. And, and of course, we were sad. We were sad for the president. We didn't want him to, to, to pass or anything like that. But even though we were watching that and watching that unfold and everything, right in the middle of our mind, it was still North Carolina. Yeah. North Carolina. I know that because... Another thing that, that I failed to mention, if you remember, I'm 6'11". Coach Knight started putting me, had me guarding two guards. Wow. Do you remember? No. I was guard, I guarded in the, in the, I guarded Mike McGee. He's a guard. I guarded Albert King from Maryland. I guarded Kevin Boyle for Iowa. So against North Carolina, I guarded Al Wood. And he wow. had just scored 30-something points in the Final Four. Yeah. So, and and that was something no one had ever seen. A 6'11 person guarding a guard. You know, and those guys are way quicker than me. Thank God for help, help side. <laughs> help side thank you, Ray and Isaiah and Ted. Thank you, because those guys are way quicker than me. But I stayed with them, though. Yeah. I mean, they knew I was there. They knew I was there. So, so that was different. You know, the coach would put us, that put me on, you know, guards and stuff like that. But he had us so prepared. And we knew that they had beat, that North Carolina had beat us, you know, at Chapel Hill by nine points that year. So we had a vengeful feeling right there anyway. Even though I don't care who they were, we were playing. We wanted to spank you because coach, coach had us so fired up and ready to win. I mean, he is a great motivator. And I mean, it was, and it's good for him when he's motivating and he's not cussing you out. Mm-hmm. That's, so can, that's tell, a positive thing. That is so great. What, is yeah. that in terms of what he's saying to you in practice in the locker room before you go out on the court? Yes. I mean, you know, if you're messing up, you go, you're going to get some cuss words. But when you're playing well and you're cutting down your turnovers, I mean, he, he's just strictly, he's just motivating. He's motivating you to win. And you know how much it, it means more when he's like that because you know how real it is because it doesn't happen that often, right? Like, That's right. Like right. everybody that we've talked to has said, like, when you got a pat on the butt from Coach Knight, it meant something. You know, it really he, did. Yeah, that really when he, when did. He does, when he stops talking to you, he's done. 
He's right. done with you. You know, and he tried that on me. But I, 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 I turned that head around, though, through my play. But, you know, I, I had to go through some some tough times or some yes, tribulations. But, I, but I, you know, I'm a winner. And I, and I felt that I was the best. And, uh, and I knew that I could help this program, help Indiana University and my teammates win. And so I had to, I had to get out there and play the best of my ability without, without turning over the ball. Well, that's what happened. After a slow start, you guys just roll over North Carolina. From midway you know, through the, the first half, after they went out to a lead, to the end of the game, you held them to 50 points. You score 63 in a 63-50 to 50 win to win Coach Knight his second national title, Indiana's fourth national title. You took 10 total shots in that game. You made seven of them. Two of them were free throws. You no, went I made eight. I was five of eight. Five of eight, but I'm counting the two free throws. So oh, okay, two, okay. there you go. So <laughs> you went, you went for 12 points, six rebounds. You make all tournament team. You, I mean, you win the national title. What the hell does it feel like to win a national title? I tell you, it almost, it took, it took months to realize what was going on, man. <laughs> it was, it was unbelievable, man. I mean, to finally, to, to, to go through what we had to go through from freshman year possibly getting kicked off the team and all that and running around the memorial, all that just came to fruition to what my what our main goal was. And our main goal was to win the national championship and bring Indiana University another banner. And it was just, it, it, it was unbelievable. And I mean, from when we got to the airport in Indianapolis, driving down 37 and fans out there with, balloons and IU flags on the, on 37 and then you know that, that was it was amazing then we drove into assembly hall and assembly hall was packed it was like unbelievable it, it i just i felt like a big man on campus and i and i hate and i hate to say this but once i got to my dorm i had my I had my bags by the time i got from Cassie, Right now, it's a it's a another hyper building right there on 10th Street, right across from Ashton. Yeah, mm -hmm. that used to be our parking lot. Okay, that's where we parked our cars, and then we went over to Ashton and went over to GRC and stayed into to our dorm. And but at that time, by the time I parked, I parked in the parking lot right there where the new hyper is. I don't even know what it's called. SRSC. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, by the time I got there to my dorm room, I had an arm full of beer <laughs> like this. <laughs> and don't you know, RAs was giving me beer? <laughs> and you know, RAs, they supposed to stop you from drinking. Beer. Yeah, no, not, not for all, a national title. All bets are off. And then I got in the room, and then my fellas came by the room, and we just, and we were just high-fiving. And then the girls started coming to oh, the room. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Man, it, 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 it was just unbelievable. I, I had, I had a, such a good time. I didn't go to class for a week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not lying. I did not go to class for a week. Because I, I think we got back to – was that game on a Monday? Yes. Yeah. So we got back Tuesday. I didn't go to class till Monday. <laughs> good week and though. i mean and, and it, it was it was just such a good time and then people then they were telling me about 
how the campus was after we won, that the people ran down to the Shorewater Fountain and tore the, the fish out of the yeah. Shorewater Fountain. They said people were swinging from trees. Yeah. They were like, Landon, Ray, Isaiah. They, they said people were turning cars over, and they just said it was, was just unreal and unbelievable good time. What does it feel like? Because obviously you and your team, it's got to be such a, a special feeling and one that – it bonds all of you together forever. But when you're driving down 37, when the RAs are putting beers into your arms, what does it feel like to know how meaningful something, a small collection of you did meant to literally millions of people? I know it means a lot. Cause I mean, when I travel, when I go different places uh, in, in the country, you know, I mean, I, I'll, I get called out everywhere. Mm -hmm. People recognize me, and it's because of basketball and winning the national championship and also playing for one of the best coaches ever. Um, I mean, I can go anywhere, Dallas, Texas. New, I mean, I was in New York one time, rolling on the street, and people, hey, is your name Landon Turner? <laughs> you know, I know I played in the, in, 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 you know, in the Mecca and everything. You know, but I mean, it, 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 and that just makes me feel good you know, to be recognized in a positive way. Um, and then to this day, the people, you know, they still recognize me for, for winning the national championship and doing well uh, during this, during this, you know, time. But now they, they're coming to me on how my attitude has been after the, the injury. They say, well, I don't know if I would have been able to handle the injury like you did, but because of watching you and the way you handle it, because, you do more than me. They right. say, I see you at more concerts and I see you at more places than I go to. And that, <laughs> and that motivates me to continue my life and being positive. And that makes me feel good because that's what I'm about. I want people to strive and be the best that they can in their life because life's too short. So while you live this life, take advantage of it and be a winner, be a champion, be the best you can be. Well, I mean, clearly words that you have lived and now let's let's talk a little wait, bit about wait, it. I, I have to ask something before we leave this magical season. There was 10 of you on that team drafted into the NBA. You went on one of the most incredible tears in, in NCAA history to win that title. You guys play the 1976 Indiana Hoosiers. 40 minutes, roll the ball out on the floor. Who wins? You or the 76 Hoosiers? The 76... They're great, but they were more mechanical to me. I mean, they worked so well together. They were mechanical. They were down screen, cross screen, back screen, just mechanical, but were very good. Work, work, work to get each other open. We flowed. Mm. We were more of a flowing team. We were more a spontaneous team. Even though we set screens, and set back screens and stuff like that. But we we were more uh, fluent as far as using our athletic ability to be able to go use our quick to go around people. And then we do funky stuff and dunk and stuff like that. <laughs> Where they were more mechanical and worked to get layups. Right. We were shooting jumpers. I mean, uh, we, we, we flowed. And then we had Isaiah. And I mean, 
with him, you better you better keep your eyes open because he will hit you in the head with the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you then if you then if you stop look then if you wasn't looking for the ball too many times and he passed it by your head, then he wouldn't pass it to you anymore. He's like, I oh, I don't want to turn over, but 76-81, it would have been interesting. They they would have mechanicaled us to death, but uh, we would have athletic athletic used our athleticism to to them to death. So I don't know. We we jumped higher than them. I think we was more. I think we were more skillful. Ooh, all right. I think we were. I think we were a little more skillful, but it'd been a good game. Yeah, man, I'm I think, I'm to see that one. To them because they was thirty two. They were thirty two and zero. Very noble, very a noble answer. That's a diplomatic answer from mm-hmm. a classy guy. But deep down, <laughs> yeah, deep down, you think you would smoke him. Yeah, That's pour that gluteus up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, but, you I, know, but 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 also with us, I mean, we had Steve Risley coming off the bench and Jim Thomas. Yeah, they didn't. They had people coming off the bench, but they weren't to that caliber. Right. They, they had Jim Cruz coming off the bench. He couldn't handle Jim Thomas. <laughs> no way. No way. Jim Cruz was good, but there's no way he could handle Jim. Jim, Jim Thomas, man, that dude was unbelievable. Eight assists in the championship guy, game. Hmm. Right. I mean, don't, I think we don't talk. We don't. They don't talk about him enough. That dude was unbelievable. You're right. He does get overlooked. He is a guy who gets overlooked. Um, yes, he does. He needs to be in the. He needs to be in the Hall of Fame. I like that. So, l- look, you you are a guy who made an impact at Indiana because we won a national championship on the court. There is no doubt that you will always be remembered for that. But you have become so much more than a basketball player because of what happened after and as a result of that day in July. So your season ends. You win the national championship. Isaiah's going pro you're going to come back for your senior year at this point. And everybody kind of assumes you're going to be one of the top five players in the country. And and, and so does coach Knight. And you're probably going to be one of the top two or three draft picks in the following year, NBA draft. And then because we never know what life has in store for us, it all changes as much as you want to talk about it, Landon, can you just walk us through uh, what do you remember from that day in July? And what's kind of the first thing you remember after it? Wow. Okay. Um, it was the summer. It was the summer of uh, 81. Um, I had a roommate. She, she used to be my girlfriend, but at that time, we weren't we weren't uh, going together. But she was my roommate. We stayed right there in the apartments. Uh, uh, Stadium View Apartments right there mm-hmm. on 20th Street. Mm-hmm. And um, she um, wanted to go. She, she she loved going to Kings Island. We've been to Kings Island a few times. Uh, but she wanted to go to Kings Island. She wanted to ride the ride. And at that time, I was working on my game. Tony Brown and I was getting together every day, going up, upstairs in the Hyper Building, working on our game, playing. I was working on my dribbling because my – Left hand dribbling was 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 messed up, and um, cause I but I wanted to be fluent with my dribbling. I wanted to be confident in my dribbling, and then, you know, and, and me bringing that up about my left hand, I found out 
about four years ago why my left hand was it was so shaky. My father told me four years ago uh, that when I was a baby, he said when we when we was in Orlando, Orlando, Tennessee, we wanted all my father wanted all of us to be right-handed. So he kept our every time we moved with our left, we would move our left. We, we, so that's what my father did to me. Every time I would do something with my left hand as an infant, he would slap it down. Wow. Okay. And, and, and it affects my left hand to the day. I mean, I can use it as far as laying it up, but but with my rhythm, with my dribbling, with my left, it was it was bad. I didn't have confidence in that. Hmm. So I was working with Tony every day, working on my left hand dribbling. Tony was working on some things. I was working on some things, and um, and that what my that's what my motivation was was to get my left hand together and get my game together. So I was doing that every day during that summer, taking a few classes too, and my roommate kept suggesting going to Kings Island. And I didn't have any money. So how am I going to go to Kings Island and I don't have any money? So she said she had some money. And so I'm like, okay. So about for about two or three weeks straight, bugging me to go to Kings Island. Let's go to Kings Island. Then she got two other people, friends of ours, to bug me about Kings Island. And this is what I tell everybody when I'm speaking. Always go with your first intuition. If something is telling you to not do something or telling you what to do, to me, that's God in your head telling you what to do. Listen to that voice. Go with your first intuition. Do not go against that first intuition. So what I did, I went on and got tired. I got tired and frustrated of them constantly bugging me and bugging me about this King's Island. I just said, oh, bug it. Let's go. Let's go to King's Island. Went against my first intuition. So I remember getting up early, uh, July 25th, got up early about six o'clock in the morning to get on the highway. Remember stopping to get some gas, was driving on, driving on the highway on 46 to get to, to go to uh, Cincinnati. And the next thing I knew, I woke up, I was in, uh, all these lights was in my eyes and I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I found out I had been out for five days and I had been in an automobile accident and they said, you broke your neck and you never be able to walk again. I'm like, this got to be a nightmare. I mean, it, it's, our lives can be just taken away in just a blink of an eye. And that's another reason I tell people, live your life to the fullest. Because, I mean, I did not know I was in an automobile. I don't know what happened. Really? It's I just like that. People. Like that. Man, like that. And then like that, and then being out, being unconscious for five days. Five days. Five days. I woke up. I woke up once I started getting my bearings. I woke up. I had uh, screws in my head from what they what they call a halo to stabilize my neck. These two screws up in the front, two screws in the back, and it was connected to this halo so that I couldn't stable, couldn't move my neck. And then I had a tracheotomy in my throat where my left lung had collapsed. And so for some reason, the lungs would give off secretions and they would have to put this tube down my neck, down my throat, the hole in my throat to suck out the secretions. So I couldn't really talk. And, I was, and every time I would breathe, you know, and it, it was it was crazy. And I was like, how in the world did this happen? They said, well, they said, well, your tire went off the road and you lost control. I don't even remember none of that. Because mm. I'm a pretty darn good driver. 
And I know if my, you know, I, I just don't know what happened. And um, and so I was in the hospital, and and then, and I knew that I had, I had to, I had to, I had to use that mentality of mine, because there were some times I thought about giving up. I mean, yeah, I was gonna ask because there's no way. I mean, unless you're literally a superhero, there had to have been a period of time where you had to reconcile and accept what had happened. And that had to be hell. I mean, there had to be moments, like you said, where you did, you didn't just, it didn't just click a switch immediately while you're in the hospital. Like, all right, I'm just gonna make the best out of this. How, how did you go from the depths of despair to the light, if you will? Well, in the, the early the early times, man, when I, when I couldn't talk and I was like in the ICU, those were some sad times, man. I mean, I was feeling sorry for myself. And um, then once they took me to the spinal cord unit, and I remember, and I mean, I loved all the doctors and nurses. Most of them graduated from Indiana University. I remember when they was taking me from the ICU to the spinal cord unit, they had, they had me on this bed. And they had to put an extension on the bed. It's probably about an 18 inch extension on the bed so that my, so that my feet can sit up there because right. I don't know if you ever heard of, I don't know if you ever heard of foot drop. No. If you like, if your feet just just loose and just stay loose, they they'll go down. They'll stay like that permanently. Oh wow! Okay. So they so they put my feet on this extension, and I remember when they was transferring me over to the <clears throat> to the spinal cord unit, they put me on the elevator, and the elevator doors couldn't shut because <laughs> your feet they just were kept too long. that extension, and, you know. <laughs> So they had to call the maintenance man to come and take the extension off. And I was in that elevator for an hour and 30 minutes. Oh. So, when they, so when the maintenance man finally came and took the, the, foot, the foot things off, um, and then I was on the spinal cord unit. And then the nurses and the, 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 the physical therapists and everybody, I started getting up because I was down for about a couple of weeks without getting up. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that once you lay down for a long time and you try to get up, you just automatically, your body just automatically makes you, knocks you out. Mm. So 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 for, for a long time, they were getting me up in my chair and I would just faint. Mm. And I did that for about a week. Because uh. I, I was down for a long time. And then another thing that I found out that I wish I didn't find out I didn't know that if you stay on, like if you just lay on your back and you don't never move, that you get decubitus ulcers, which are called bed sores. Mm -hmm. I had never yeah. heard of bed sores. So the, nurse, the, the night nurses will come in, they're supposed to come in and say, it's time to be turned because I couldn't really turn myself because I mean, I was paralyzed, I couldn't really turn. So the nurses will have to come in and turn you so you stay on one side, then come two or three hours later, turn you so so that your skin doesn't break down for just being on one spot. Right. And I remember a nurse coming in saying, Landon, do you want to be turned at three o'clock in the morning? What would you say at three o'clock in the morning? No. You would say no. Yeah, right. So I said no. Plus I didn't have the knowledge about a decubitus ulcer that your skin would break down like that. Right. So I ended up getting a decubitus ulcer. Oof. Mm. Right in the right in the top of my butt, and the thing was, and the thing 
they can get they can get so deep that they go actually all the way down to your bone. Oh. And a lot of elderly people that are, that are being neglected have those problems, and those things can get infected and and can take you out. So I remember I had to sleep with a had to sleep with a lamp and everything, but but mine healed because I, I was so much in shape. They say it healed faster than anybody that they've ever seen. Mm. So so staying in shape and being in good, you know, being in good shape really really helps out a lot. So, so obviously nobody could get through something like this by themselves. And along with the great medical support staff you had around you, can you talk about both your family and your teammates and of course, Coach Knight and how they helped you through an unimaginable darkness? Well, a lot of times they came when I was when I was out. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people say, I came to see you, man. And, 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 you know, you they said, you look bad. You had all these, you know, things in your head. and. You know, so Coach came. I think he, he came a lot when I when I was unconscious, and a lot of the players came when I was unconscious. They came when I, you know, when I was good, when I was getting better and stuff. But they came more when I first got hurt, and uh, and that really that really made me feel good. I mean, that really gave me um, uh, an idea that you know these, these guys care for me because I didn't think I didn't think a lot of the guys on the team cared for me. I didn't. I didn't think a lot of them wanted me on the team because a lot of times they wouldn't pass me the ball. Mm -hmm. And the big man needs to be fed. <laughs> yeah. And so, but when I saw this side of them, especially Coach, because Coach Knight, I saw a side of him that I thought I would never see. I mean, because all I knew was, you know, the the stern coach that would cuss you out, would call you out of your name and all this kind of stuff. But then I saw a softer side of Coach. You know, which really surprised me that I thought I, I didn't think he possessed. Mm -hmm. I knew that he was married and had kids. So I knew that there was a nice side somewhere, but I had never really seen it. And, um, and he was just, and he just was there full tilt, raising money for the Landon Turner um, Foundation to, you know, raise money for, um, to buy me wheelchairs and things that pertain to the injury. And then he got the whole country involved, raised over five hundred thousand dollars, and and it, that made me feel real good. I was like, you know, almost had me in tears that that he was behind me a hundred percent like that. I mean, uh, and all the other guys, Isaiah, got, you know, he he brought some NBA players to play the Pacers, and they raised ninety something thousand dollars for me. And I mean, people all over the country, NBA players. I got a, I got a. One of my favorite people that I mentioned earlier, I got a telegram from Richard Pryor. You know, wow. me. yeah, and I still got it too. Really, you know, urging, urging me to, you know, I mean, from NBA coaches, I've got was getting letters and flowers, and it just it just made me feel good. I was getting letters from people all over the country. I mean, women saying, "Oh, I named my my son Landon." Landon Horowitz, and, you know, <laughs> I mean, and it just, uh, I mean, and those things made me feel good. And those things definitely helped me, you know, overcome the situation that I was in. But just like playing basketball, ultimately, yeah, it's up to me. Because, I mean, even though I had all those people push me and encouraging me, 
if I didn't want to do it, I, I wouldn't have done it. I could have just, I could have just easily laid around and bring me milk, bring me water, and just and just waste it away. I could so, have done that, but the winning, the winner in me would not let me do it. Do you remember? Was there a moment or a time where the flip, the the switch flipped for you, like when you stopped? The, the, when the bad times you thought you had to put those behind you and you just made the decision that I'm going to, I'm going to overcome this. Like what, what was that for you? I had a roommate in the, in the spinal cord unit. Um, his name was James and he had a higher injury than mine. Mine is the sixth cervical. And I think he was like third and fourth cervical. So his injury was a lot higher than mine. He wasn't able to use this fingers at all. I really don't supposed to be able to move my fingers, but God is good. Hmm. Um, and I remember we were talking and he said that he wanted to commit suicide. He said, Landon, I can't live like this, being in a wheelchair, being dependent on people. I want to commit suicide. And when, when I heard those words, commit suicide, that clicked to me. I was like, man, we, we, we are alive. We, we are living. I mean, God has a reason for us to be alive. I mean, because most people die of a broken neck. So there must be a reason we're here on earth is still alive. So it clicked in me. And then at that point, when he said that he was going to commit suicide, I told myself then, I am going to work my butt off and I'm going to get the best out of my abilities, no matter what they are. I said, I am going to go to physical therapy, occupational therapy. And just and just work it out and just be the best I can be and keep that winning attitude because that right there when he said he was commit suicide I knew that the acts that I the positive acts that I would do could help influence other people to feel good about themselves and maybe not come up with that idea of wanting to commit suicide and just give up on everything. Wow. Well, I, I'm curious, Landon. You know. What Coach Knight did for you, and you've talked about it a lot, and other people have written about it, although it never gets as much play as like throwing a chair or something, which is ridiculous, but yeah. that's, that's a different conversation. But I am curious, Coach does seem like the kind of person who, the way that he would tell you he cares about you is by doing something for you. But did you ever have, in the years since, did you ever have one-on-one -on -one conversations with him where he showed you that softer side verbally? Like, did he ever tell you how much you meant to him or did he let the actions speak for themselves? He never, he never really told me how, how he feels about me. Um, but I saw through his actions, he cared. Yeah. Cause he did not have to go out and do speeches and make money and for the, for the Landon Turner Trust Fund. He didn't have, he didn't have to do that. I mean, <clears throat> And I mean, anytime I call him and ask him for something, if he could do it, he would do it. I mean, I went to the Super Bowl because of Coach Knight. Really? Because he had connections to get Super Bowl tickets. So I went to three Super Bowls. I, I, I went to both the Coast Super Bowls, and then you know, and I went to a, another Super Bowl. But you know, so through his, through through those actions, I knew that he cared and he loved me. He don't show it. He won't say it or anything like that. But I remember one time I was sitting with him one-on-one. -on -one. It was when I was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2012. 
Um, we had, I think Steve Downey had something going on at Marion College, and he had Coach Knight there to help raise some money for the athletic department there in Marion College. And so I was sitting next to Coach, and I was like, Coach, I know you said you'd never go back to Indiana University. I said, but it would make me feel so proud to have you at my Hall of Fame, you know, induction. And he put it, he put he put his hand on my leg and said, Landon, I would love to be there, but I told myself I would never ever go to Indiana University again. And and I mean he just said that so proudly, like he was never gonna go back. And so I thought the guy was never gonna go back to Indiana University. And but he did write a nice letter. I don't know he if you did. saw that. Bob Hamill read it. Mm-hmm. Yes, Bob Hamill read it, and then, then you know, and they wanted me to speak, and I told them, "Where are my highlights?" I know, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Then they scrambled. Then they scrambled. Huh? Then they scrambled, and they actually put up a highlight reel like halfway through the speech. Yes, they did. <laughs> Inter- interrupted me. Yes. I mean, I'm speaking, and then there's like, and and people in the crowd's like, "There's your highlights." I'm like. Wow, right in the middle of the speech. Okay. <laughs> well, I love, I love, I love I, Scott, Scott Dolson and all them, man. They take good care of me. I love those people down there. Before we get kind of into the current state, I want to go back to, to a couple things from, from okay. the relationship with Coach Knight. One is that in the draft of 1982, Red Auerbach and the Boston Celtics drafted you. I'm curious in a don't worry about how it sounds. Did that make you feel good? Or did it, was there any part of you that like, did it, did it make you think about things that couldn't be? I'm just really curious on what your, in your own heart, what was the reaction when that happened? It was twofold. Um, I felt real good that I was drafted last in the draft. Uh, it made me feel real good. But, um, I used to hate the Boston Celtics. <laughs> I mean, because I was I was an Indiana Pacer, Philadelphia 76er fan. Yes. And, uh, and, and 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 those guys with those white legs and those <laughs> short shorts and look so ugly with those ugly green shoes. Man, I hated the Boston because they used to always be Philadelphia and always beat the Pacers. I mean, and I hated those dudes. <laughs> and um, it's just, wow. And I was like, what? And then, you know, Red Arback, you know, sent, sent me a couple couple watches. Yeah. I think he sent me a watch from the 80, the 84 championship. Mm-hmm. And he sent me a watch, I think, the 86 championship. Oh, that is yeah. cool. I would have I liked a ring, but, I, you know, Vegas sent me two. <laughs> but and I still got those watches today, and I cherish them. Oh, that uh, is but, awesome! But I, but it but it was twofold because I felt good about that. I knew that I, I knew that I would have been drafted, and I knew that I could have made an impact. But again, you know, there's no way I can play the game that I love again. I mean, I love basketball. Whenever, whenever I needed, uh, whenever I needed just to get away and just to refresh my mind, I would just go out and shoot a ball. Whenever I needed to, you know just get away from people or whatever. I just go to the hyper bit. I'll just go shoot some ball. You know, it was, it was a game that I loved and cherished. And, uh, and so that was in my mind that I wouldn't ever be able to play basketball like that again. 
But uh, it was twofold, but I think it was more on the positive side than the negative side. And I'd have to imagine that that pain never fully goes away of having that thing you love taken away from you. No, don't. But at some point, you have to, once you just uh, uh, get your bearings again physically and you can start to return to what is now the new normal of your life and how you'll be living, how did you find that that spark, uh, that joy, that motivation, you know, that obviously led to such an incredible and rewarding life after basketball? Was that just a long period of searching? Do you remember a conversation or a, a moment where you're like, I can take what was a tragedy for me and really help people with it? How, how did you how did you get to the point where you started turning it into um as much of a positive as it could be? Well, uh, I was in the hospital for four months and, uh, and I've made a lot of progress, you know, because when I first got hurt and I was paralyzed, I mean, I couldn't even, I couldn't even lift up a, a two pound weight. Hmm. I mean, I did not know you lose. And I was in, when you lay down for a long time, you lose muscle mass. Right. So I went from 258 pounds, almost down to 210 pounds mm. in a matter of a, in a, like a matter of a couple of weeks. Mm. I mean, it just went fast. And I don't know if you ever heard of atrophy. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. I mean, it just lost all my muscle. I mean, just lost everything. Cause I mean, you just laying there. I mean, I really couldn't move my arms in the, in the early, in, in the early uh, injury times, could hardly move my fingers. And, uh, and once I started being, when I, be, you know, was able to, to move my arms and fingers, I started getting physical therapy. The therapist would come to my bed and gave me a two-pound weight. I couldn't even lift a two-pound weight. Wow. So I knew I had a long way to go. And to lose weight that fast is unbelievable. Yeah. And so then once I got out of the hospital and, and went to my house and went, went to live with my parents, something I didn't want to do because I mean, I love my parents, but I love my independence too. Yeah, sure. Uh, their, their, their bathrooms and stuff were not accessible. They didn't have, I mean, the wheelchair is probably what? 30, 32 inches wide. Their doors are 28 inches wide. Mm. So when I had to use the bathroom, my father had to literally pick me up, drag me and put me on the toilet mm. and do things like that, which I love that he did. And so, I got to the point, I said, I, I, I've got to be, I've got to be independent. I want to be independent. So even though I could not get in the bathroom myself or anything like that, um, that just made me want to fight even harder to just, you know, cause I was still going to physical therapy. It just made me work harder to, you know, be able to lift myself up so I can, you know, drag myself in the bathroom. Cause I didn't want my father doing all that. I want to be independent. And so it seems like once I got to my parents' home and saw how much they had to do, how much they had to help me out, that just motivated me more to just be more independent and just do, do the best I could to just be able to take care of myself. As a kid who Ward and I around the same age grew up, you know, born in the, in the 70s, grew up watching games in the 80s, IU games, 80s and 90s, there were two fixtures for Indiana games. It was obviously the red sweater of Bobby Knight 
and getting ready to see him. And there was Landon Turner at games. You would look for it. And when you saw Landon Turner games, it just filled you with a pride as an Indiana fan that things were, this is how things are supposed to be. But I'm curious, was it difficult for you to get back onto that court, to go back into that building um, after what you went through? And how did that come to be? And then how did it come to pass that you became this just fixture of being there? And what does it mean to you to know that you are so much a part of of IU basketball history, living history, that um, it's really beyond words? I mean, that's a whole lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> that's my fault. I don't like asking multiple questions. Let's that's, like, start... that's like five questions in one. <laughs> let's, start with, let's start with how did you come back to Assembly Hall and was that difficult? Um, when I went back to Assembly Hall, because I, I, I remember the picture right now, I, I had the, uh, the neck brace on my neck and uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't difficult. It wasn't difficult because at that time, I was still, you know, I was still wasn't totally independent. I mean, I was real, still real skinny. And um, I was happy to go back in Assembly Hall. I mean, to see to see the coaches and see the players. I mean, I felt I felt real good inside to be there. And then, you know, they introduced me and the fans gave me a standing ovation and everything. I put my arm up. I mean, I really felt good. But I'm, you know, but of course, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather be there in another manner. I'd rather be on sure. my two feet out there warming up and everything. So, of course, it's a little bit, of, but it wasn't a sadness where I would just let it just take over me. I would not let sadness and just take over my, my positive thoughts. I knew that if I want to be, if I want to live a positive life and live a life worth of living, that I have to be positive because, you know, being sad all the time and not feeling good about yourself or whatever, that's stress. And stress kills. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to live, man. I mean, you know, life is short, you know, I mean, especially like now during this pandemic, anybody can die right now. And so, you know, right and so I, I live my life to the full. So when I was there, I mean, I was happy, you know, I was very happy and, and, and and plus, I'm you know I'm a fixture at Indiana University. I, I love Indiana University. I love Bobby Knight, but even though when he went through his trials and tribulations, and he wasn't there anymore, that still wasn't going to take my love from Indiana University. Bobby Knight is a fixture of Indiana University, and he's a great fixture. He's a Hall of Fame fixture, but he's not Indiana University. Hmm. Indiana, Indiana University, even though I didn't totally planting myself into my books like I I, I, I should have. I should have get A's and B's like I should have. I still got my degree. I yeah, got my degree. Back. Can't take that back. And in the, I love Indiana University. So, and I love the basketball program and I love the guys. I love the guys that go through Indiana University playing basketball. That's one of the main reasons I go. I love the people that work there. Like I mentioned, Scott Dawson there, but I'll go back for the guys because I want to see them be the best player and the best person they can be. So if I can go there and I can talk to them, and you know, just give them a little, little piece of my mind, a little piece of my knowledge, and just show them, you know, that hey, because now 
they're getting a lot of players that are from other states that really don't know what Indiana University and bat and Indiana University basketball is all about. Mm-hmm. Indiana University basketball is the is the shit. Yes, <laughs> and, yes. And a, these, and a lot of these kids from these other states, they don't know it. They don't know Indiana University like that. Even and some of the want, kids in the state. You know, the truth is, Landon, even some of the kids in the state for the last 20 years, you know, a kid that's 17 years old, whose first coach for Indiana basketball was Mike Davis and doesn't know Coach Knight, you know, it's it's a different thing now. It's why it's so important for guys, especially, specifically you, to be a fixture at Indiana because you can impart wisdom to them. You can tell them and show them what it means to wear the Indiana that you're still wearing on your chest right now. Like that, it's just so important that, that you are a part of it. You're a living, breathing embodiment of everything a Hoosier is supposed to be. And along with that, I want them, I want them to see me and, and let them know that, hey, because, you know, because there's going to be adversity and strife in everybody's life, no matter who you are. That's just being a human being. You're going to go through some trials and tribulations. You know, and, and some people, uh, trial and tribulations can be uh, anything that their girlfriend let them go. And they, and they, but they might want to kill themselves because of that. Right. Yeah, I mean, some people, no matter what the strife is, they, they might, be, might take it to the next level that where they, they want to give up. And I want them to see me and know, and when they see me, they know that what I went through, hey, if I can do it, you sure can do it. And live your life to the best of your abilities. Do it. Live it. Live, live love. Love. I mean, we, we're going through these hard times with these, you know, with this racial problems and all that. Man, if, it, if everybody just came together and we just loved, man, this would be a so much better place to live in. Hmm. Yeah, it really would. Amen. And Amen. if somehow we could, we could have everybody in the the country right now listen to Ray Tolbert's bass. I think we'd be in a much better place. There you go, man. They, that that bass, man. He he's good. He's even better now. So when he goes, <laughs> so, I mean, every periodic and his daughter, his daughter plays bass. Too. Oh, nice. He's sending me videos of her playing, and and you know this COVID thing that we, we was going to have him come on because I've got a. Uh, I've got a half court gym in my house. Nice, uh, cool. And I, I stole that idea from Isaiah because when I went to go visit Isaiah, he had a half court in his house. So I put one in mine when I had my house built. And uh, and every once in a while, Rain, his daughter, come over and and, and shoot around. And and I said, when they say you come, bring both your bases. I want to hear. It. And uh, then this COVID thing happened, and we haven't been able to do it. But we will. But we will in the future. How's the shot still? You still got the form? Is it still sweet? The form is there, but uh, but but I'm I'm not really shooting like I used to. Yeah, I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm I'm not going in there like I used to. I'm, you know, is I, I did wheelchair basketball for a while. And yeah, I did that. And Coach Knight, you know, he was the one that he funded a year. You know, of of us playing wheelchair basketball, and. Um, and that's a rough sport, man. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it's rough. And um, and Coach was there for me, man. But wheelchair basketball, I, it just wasn't the same. I just didn't feel because, like before basketball games, when I played in high school and played in, at IU, I would get butterflies. But before I played 
wheelchair basketball, I never got butterflies. Hmm. It never felt the same, you know. And I was, and I was pretty good, you know. I was pretty good. I could score and get rebounds and everything. It was cool, but, but they would put the, the littlest guy out there, and put on me and way quicker than me, and not allow me to go up court. And I hated that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a it's a different sport. Um, uh, I, I want Oh, I just wanted to to talk about when um, Coach Knight did finally come back to Assembly Hall what what that meant for you personally and as somebody you know one of the few who after coach Knight left just remained a fixture on that court in assembly hall um what it meant to you and and do you think that that meant a lot to the program even moving forward as as kind of bringing the family back together i think it meant a lot it surprised me you know Mm -hmm. i mean when they told me he moved back to Bloomington, I said, "What?" <laughs> you told me you told, you told me you was never coming back to Bloomington. And then he said you moved close to Assembly Hall. I'm like, "Wow!" Because <laughs> so, you know, I had I had planned on being there. Um, I had told you know Scott Dawson that I was going to be there, and um, that night I don't know what it was. That night I was leaning on the back of my wheelchair, and the back of my wheelchair broke. Oh. <sighs> The back of my wheelchair broke, and the and the place where I could get it fixed wasn't open on Saturdays. So I mean, mm. so I, I wasn't able to get my wheelchair fixed, and I didn't want to come out there, you know, with a broke back on my wheelchair. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I wasn't able to make. So I wasn't able to make that, but I wanted to make that. I wanted to see coach and everything, and some of the past, the past players, but. Um, Butch was there. I don't know if I want to. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't think that went so well by the end no, of the day. I wouldn't, want, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see him. But, you know, but, you know, but school and everybody. Uh, but, you know, but even though I wasn't there physically, I was there in spirit, you know, because all the diving and all the blood I spilled on that floor, my, my spirit is definitely in that house. Yes, yeah, there is. is no doubt about that. And I think one of the great recognitions of that came in 2012 when you were inducted into the Indiana University Hall of Fame in a one-man class your own class uh I do I watched your speech and there's a couple things in it I want to bring up the first is you know a, a lot of other people thank their wives and stuff like that when they're at a Hall of Fame speech you also thanked two women uh in your life do you remember what you thanked them for First, uh, you know, you know, Rand, uh, Rand, Antoine Randall L, you know, he gave he gave his wife some props and said, oh, you know, I wouldn't be able to achieve anything if it wasn't for my wife. And I love her very much. And I had been married. I had been married. And um, they were when I when I was dating them for a year, they were like angels. But it seemed like as soon as we said I do, it was a metamorphosis. And, um, and 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 I was not happy. I was not happy at all. I mean, in the in the relationships, I wasn't happy. I mean, I uh, man, I was going. I mean, the first one, I was going through stress, and I mean, I, every time I sat up in my chair, it felt like I was on fallout. Oh. I, was under, I was under so much stress, and so I had to end that. And then the second one, I met her in church, so I thought I was. I thought I was. I thought I had an angel. Yeah. And whoa. <laughs> <laughs> she uh she unfortunately, you know, uh 
she told me she she told me uh, after we were married that she had to fight every boyfriend that she ever had, and and when I wasn't trying to fight her uh, or anything, she she still wanted to fight me, <laughs> and I was like. And I was like, I, I said, I do not want to be sitting over here getting abused. And before I retaliate, I need to, I need to, I need to get, I need to get rid of this. So I ended up getting, I ended up getting a couple of divorces, but uh, I, I tried, I tried to show them love. I try, I did not want to be alone. I wanted to, I wanted to love them for the rest of my life. And, but it did not work out that way. And now I'm happy solo right now. There you go. Well, in the speech, you did say, I also want to thank the two women. I've been married twice, and I want to thank the two women for letting me divorce them. Exactly. <laughs> Just exactly. killed me. Even though, even, though I, even though I had to come over, I had to pay them a little bit of money, but yeah, that's all know, right. My, my, my happiness and my sanity is a lot is a lot more uh, important than giving up some money. That's right. The other thing that you said, which I take exception to, is that you said that you didn't think you did enough to be inducted into the IU Hall of Fame. I still don't. Landed. I, mean, I still don't, man. I did not. I mean, even though I did, I did some good things uh, my junior year, but I did not reach my potential. I think me and my potential would have been awesome. And <laughs> but and because I did not reach that, I mean, I did some. I did some positive things and did some good things. Helped us win. But I just, me personally, I just did not feel that I reached my, my total potential in my, in my best game. Okay, I, I accept that that's what you think. But Landon, you know this. Indiana University basketball, especially, is more than what you do on the court. Indiana basketball yeah. is more than being a player. What you have done for the last 40 years of being a representative and a fixture of Indiana University, you, you deserve your own wing of the Hall of Fame. The inspiration that you have provided to fans over generations of fans is unparalleled in the history of Indiana University basketball. Your impact is so great, it cannot be measured by statistics and championships, even though you got us one, mm -hmm. you know? But what you have done for I'm thinking 40 possibly years, too. <laughs> yeah. What you have done for 40 years, Landon, the inspiration you have provided, the motivation that you have provided, the lives that you have touched, it goes beyond anything that you could do on the basketball court. And I don't care if you played there for 20 years. That is why, along with what you did on the basketball court, the Hall of Fame, if it's not built to have people like Landon Turner in it, then it shouldn't exist. That's the truth. Well, I appreciate that, man. And uh, everything that I've accomplished, uh, it all it all stems from the blessings of God. And uh, being being inducted into the Hall of Fame, I, I mean, that was very thrilling and wonderful to me. And um, but I, there's more for me to do out there. There's more. There's more people out there that are going through things in life that, that could be that I could re possibly reach out to. And if I just reach and just change one person's life to to not want to commit suicide or to turn their life around to, to positivity, man, I've done my job. And I mean, yeah. and, I, and that's what I want to do. I want to live my life. You know, people say that, you know, I mean, Isaiah was a leader. He was a verbal leader. He was like, cuss you out if you did something bad. 
Knight is a is he's a he's a leader. He's a verbal leader, you know. And but if I could be a leader by by my actions, seeing that what I do, living my life, living a positive positive way, and not letting adversity keep me down and stop me from living a positive life. And you can take something from that and live your life positive. Man, I, I've done my thing. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm here on earth to do. Well, you certainly have had that effect on us. And, and I can remember going to games as a child and my dad pointing you out and talking about the incredible 81 team and what you went through and to see you down there cheering on the boys just like we were. I mean, that that is, as Eric said, as, as much a part of Indiana basketball as any game or any team or any players we grew up watching and continue to. And so coming away from from this conversation again it's such an honor and a privilege because of not only what you've meant to the family of indiana university but but to to me personally and then to take three plus hours to share the good and the bad it's such a generous use of your time and i know if the people listening to this get a, a, a fraction of what i got out of this even in a pandemic, even when we can't leave our homes, you can't be in front of a bunch of high school kids or a church youth group, you're inspiring people right now, two people. And when this goes out tomorrow, many, many more. And, and it's just that indomitable spirit is something that is going to stick with me through the rest of my day with my children. And this week and this month, you have an amazing effect on people and we so appreciate your willingness to share that. Man, I appreciate that, man. But I do have, I do have a, another story. If you all do not mind me. Oh, please, we bring it, on. bring it, man. Uh, matter of fact, man, let me see if I get it up on my computer. Um, you know, when we when we won the national championship in '81, of course, Ronald Reagan, there was an assassination attempt. Sure. So because he was in the hospital um, healing and everything, we wasn't able to go to the White House to meet the president right. because, you know, the, the national champion always goes to yeah. the White House. And so years went by, and I was like, man, I wish we could have went to the, to the White House. And so when President Clinton was in there, I thought about writing him a letter. And, um, but something told me no, that that godly voice you got to listen to that voice uh told me no so i did not do it but but i never knew that we was ever gonna i in my lifetime i never thought we would ever have a uh, an african-american president ever in this country i never thought that so in, in 08 when he became when barack obama became president i said i'm gonna give him a couple years and i'm gonna, <laughs> and I'm gonna write this dude yeah and, and if you all don't mind me uh, reading this letter that I please, wrote. Please, please. Okay, so, dear President Barack Obama, hello, Mr. President, my name is Landon Turner, and I'm writing because I have a special request to ask of you. In 1981, I played basketball for Indian University and Bobby Knight. Some of the players on that team were Isaiah Thomas, Ray Tober, Randy Whitman, and Jim Thomas. We won the NCAA championship that that year, beating North Carolina with James Worthy and Sam Perkins. I was on the all-tournament Final Four team along with Isaiah and Jim Thomas. Unfortunately, four months after winning the championship, 
I was in a one-car accident and became paralyzed. A few hours before the game, President Ronald Reagan was shot and the NCAA considered canceling the game. Despite that tragedy, they made a decision to continue the game. It's a, it's a tradition that the national championship team visits the president at the White House. Through the president's Reagan's condition, our basketball team missed out on visiting the White House and the president. I know you're very busy, but I, if you could grant me the opportunity to meet you at the White House in the future, it would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for your time, and my prayers are with you and always. God bless the United States of America. Sincerely, Landon Turner. So, okay, I wrote him that letter, and I let it go. So 2010, the Colts were in the championship playing, playing the Saints. And I went to that Super Bowl, thanks to Coach Knight. And when I got back to Indianapolis, opened my mailbox, there's a big blue envelope in there and it said White House on it. Opened it up. They, they told me to come to the White House. But the date for they wanted me to come was the next day. <laughs> I said, I don't have time. I just got back from Miami. I don't have uh, So I wrote, so I wrote back the guy that I was corresponding with, wrote back. And so they set up another time. And the, and the, and the time was July 26, 2010. Wow. But, 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 but let me get around to it. So, uh, so of course, so I, I had just bought a new 2010 Cadillac. <laughs> I said, what a great time to put this car on the highway to see what it does. So I drove to D.C. and check it out. When I was driving to D.C., it was on July 25th, 2010. Going, and I was driving through Ohio. July 25th, 81, going to Ohio, wreck. Mm -hmm. I am July 25th, going to D.C., driving through Ohio. That was kind of ironic to me, mm. and so I get to I get to get to Washington D.C., stay in my my hotel, get up the next day. You know, I get, I'm going to meet the president, so you know I had to put on a double-breasted suit and everything. Yeah, yeah. fly. Yeah, and so when I get so when I get to the when I get to the line, cause see, it was they was having the 10th anniversary of them passing the ADA law. Okay, the Americans with Disability Act. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of people, blind people, people in wheelchairs, all kind of different disabilities. So when I got up to the lady to, to give her my, my driver's license and, and go in, she looked, she got my license and looked for my name. And she said, Mr. Turner, you're in the wrong line. You need to go two blocks that, down that way into the, into the entrance way and go to the VIP line. <laughs> he don't put me in the VIP line. So I'm getting my license. I'm pushing. And guess who's guess who asked to uh push me? Marley Maitland. Do you all remember her, the actress that yeah. the definitely yes, yeah, absolutely and, and was on the West Wing where she played a character that was like a pollster. Yes. yes. She wanted to push me, and I said, No, no, baby, you go ahead. I'll, I'll meet you there. And so I get to the VIP, and then they, they walked us through through the VIP, and they took us to the China room. As soon as I go in the China room, the first person I see is Patti LaBelle. Oh, my wow. God. I love Patti LaBelle. I've been listening to her music 
I love her. I love, and so I went in there, and then and then the guy Nathaniel Ayers, the the guy that um, the schizophrenic uh, Chilowis. Oh, sure. That yeah. Jamie Foxx did the movie on. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. He was in there. I don't know why he was there. He was. He he played the violin, and it was sounded terrible. But anyway, <laughs> so 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 I was in there, and 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 while I was in the White House. I was just looking around because I knew slave. I mean, this is historic. Slaves built this under duress. Yeah. <laughs> it's beyond duress. And so I'm looking around. I'm just thinking it's beautiful. And so I was, you know, looking at looking at the people that work for Barack. And I saw people working for him of every nationality. Just the way Brian's doing it now. And and I was like, this is beautiful. This this looks like a melting pot. This looks like what United States say we are a melting pot. And then, then I heard this loud voice, everybody get in line. I said, boy, who is that loud person? <laughs> and I turned around and looked down. It was a little, a little lady, a little person <laughs> working for, and she was the loudest thing. She corralled us like cattle to go meet Barack, right? She corralled us like, you know, like a sheepdog corralled us. <laughs> And she was in charge, and I mean, she was she was bad. She was a bad. And so then we went in the room where Barack was, you know, taking pictures of with the VIPs. As soon as I roll in the room, he looked over at me and go, "There goes the basketball star." I was like, "Man, no, you the star, my man. You the star." And then I met, met him, took a picture with him, shook his hand, and uh, it was it was a beautiful thing, man. And I think that was through blessings of God that I that I had the determination to to reach out and and go to the, meet the president at the White House. Do you remember anything he said to you? Did was there anything specific he said to you? Did he ask about did he ask about a crazy story about Bobby Knight? <laughs> no, I mean, you know there was lines of there was a line of people and you you really probably only and you got to take a picture. Right. And maybe he got what 40 seconds to say so you know really you know you really didn't get to have a conversation with him. But I knew that he loved basketball. And I said, yeah. ask him if, and I asked him if he ever played wheelchair basketball. And he said he, he never played wheelchair basketball. <laughs> but but then I, I I wished him good luck and all that. And then I then I had the, the midget corralled us out of there. Not midget, I mean little person. I'm right, sorry. right, 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 right. Little person. Little person corralled us out of there, you know, and, and, and it, it was beautiful, man. That, that is beautiful. Is, that is incredible. I mean, what it was. what a life, man. It is, uh, and you are just getting started. There are, like you said, there are countless people out there that need to hear your message. And this COVID thing needs to get behind us for no other reason than to see you back where you belong in Assembly Hall as a fixture of Indiana University basketball. I have to ask you before we let you go, what the hell do you think about what's going on in Indiana these days? Man, it, it, I feel like I feel like I'm going to Kings Island, getting on a roller coaster. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I thought they was after beating Iowa because I thought for sure Iowa was going to beat them. Yeah, and after mm -hmm. playing hard and and smart like they did against Iowa, I thought they was turning it around. I said, okay, we got Rutgers. I said we ought to blow them out. You know, man, I just set up here. And, and as a past player and a, and, a, and a lover of Indiana University and a lover of the basketball team, 
it really let me down. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if the guys aren't listening to Archie. I don't know if Archie is is preparing them correct. I don't know what it is. It's just you should not ever be outplayed on your home court. Right. Ever. Fans are not. No excuse. Fans are not. I mean, fans are not. You you should be. You should have a killer instinct. I always, you know, because I've done some coaching too. I've coached Nike leagues. I've coached, I've coached uh, certain youth teams, and I always tell them it should be a metamorphosis. You should be, you should be like an angel off the floor. Be kind. Be a gentleman. Be nice. But once you step your foot on that basketball court, a metamorphosis of that devil should come mm-hmm. on. Should come. You should, you should, you should try everything in your power to win that you can, that that's legal. You don't need to be elbowing people, but you need to put a hundred, I mean, especially, you know, a person like me that's, they, that loves the game, that love the game and love to play it. If you get your, if you get all your limbs and, can, and you get all your faculties and all your physicality, get out there and get a hundred percent. When you leave the, when you leave that court, you shouldn't want to have to go hang out. You should be so tired that you just want to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Give it your all. Because that, you only go around once, you got to give it your all, your best. Okay? Because a team, you're, you're a team, and if one one person can mess up and just mess the whole team up. So you want to give your all to help that team win as much as possible. I, I, wish, I wish you could speak to the team every time before they head out on the court. I just, I just can't imagine we wouldn't see a better, more sustained effort, not just because you can impart on them this inspiration of how to live every day to the absolute fullest, but also right. with what it means to be an Indiana Hoosier, even if that meaning has been diminished in their entire lifetimes, you know, a two minute speech from you, I don't see how somebody wouldn't want to run through the locker room wall instead of walk out the door to get onto that court. Have you done that? Have you spoken to this team? Has Archie had you come in to speak to him? I have, I have not spoke, spoken to this team, but um, because a lot of times when I go down there, I'm doing things with the varsity club. Sure. And by the time, you know, but I could stay around and talk to them afterwards, but I'm trying to beat that traffic, man. <laughs> I mean, when, when, I mean, when when it when it when it's like five minutes left in the game, I'm gone. <laughs> I'm trying to beat that traffic because I have been I have I have been in that traffic and they and and all I want to do is get on 37. Yeah. They 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 now they take you all they they take you to places I've never even been before in Bloomington. I know. I've been all over Bloomington. I know the traffic is nuts. It is weird. The pattern that they have you go now is crazy. Yeah, and then and then oh, and when it was working on sixty nine, it was real bad. Yeah, I mean it was real bad. So I so I always leave early because you know, but this year you know I can't do it. This year you can't because of COVID. Because of COVID now, so well I don't know. But I'm gonna try to get to it because I you know I like because that's what it's all about. I love I love the the players. That's one of the reasons why I always come back because of the players and the relationships I have with, with like Scott and all, and all the people at Indiana University, the faculty. And I, I just love, I just love Indiana University and I love the basketball team, uh, program. Well, 
Indiana University and the fans love you more than we could ever possibly explain. Uh, this has been an absolute joy. When COVID is done, we're coming to Bloomington and meet you there. And we got to go yes. have dinner or something together and, and break bread it. together. Before we let you go, though, Steve Risley, your old teammate, busted your chops on our podcast last time. What do you have to say to Mr. Risley? Steve Risley, you're my brother. You're a champion. And I love you, brother. Took the high Whoa. road. Took when they the go, high road. When they go, go low, low, you go high. I mean, man, you know, man, life's too short. I, I can't have any animosity because somebody says something you don't like. I've been, I've been talked about and dogged out all my life. <laughs> I mean, from, from grade school to high school, people not, you know, having confidence in me. To Bobby Knight not having kind of calling me a pussy, calling me everything under the <laughs> under the sun, but a child of God. And I mean, my life's too short, man, to, to just hold animosity against you. But I, I love Steve and I, well, I, I love everybody on that team and everybody that I that I know that in that in that program. I love them all. Except Butch. I mean, except Butch. I love Butch. Oh, all right. There all you right. go. There By the way, go. I, I was Butch. I was gonna say. When in your life, Bobby Knight has pulled your pants down to look to see if you have a set of balls, nothing else can bother you for the rest of your life. <laughs> Once you get through that, I mean, my God, you nothing, everything else is easy. Man, I tell you, never had nothing like that happen to me in my life. Yeah, well, <laughs> that was that was crazy. <laughs> Man, what 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 an experience, Landon. Thank you, you are a treasure. You are an absolute treasure. And the respect and admiration that I have for you and Ward has for you, it's just unmatched, man. I am telling you, you are a Hall of Famer to your core. And I am just so proud that I can call you a Hoosier. That's it. I love you, Eric, and I love you, Ward. Love you You're too, man. man. You be good. Love you. God bless. Stay safe. God bless you. Stay safe. All right. Bye. That was as joyful as sad and as meaningful of a conversation as we've ever had. It's as joyful, sad, and meaningful as a conversation I've ever had. I mean, just not just the podcast. It is life-affirming and tragic, and but it's life-affirming because of the tragedy of it. You know, I mean, the, the overcoming it is what makes it I mean, just stunning and how quickly, I mean, the amazing thing to me is how quickly he turned from the depths of despair to positive. I mean, he did it in the hospital. Well, and it's these metaphors we always like to draw or, or analogies between sports and life, you know, that, and, and we've heard him so many times, you know, that what I learned under coach Knight got me prepared for X, Y, or Z out in, out in the real world but to see somebody who went through, in his words, that metamorphosis in the Northwestern game, you know, just months before this unimaginable tragedy befell him, that, that it, you couldn't write that in a movie as, as far as like he, he had this breakthrough that transformed him into this incredible butterfly that you assume becomes uh, maybe a two-time national champ, uh, NBA draft pick, you know, if not the first, the second or the third, and on and on and on, but that it so quickly takes this tragic turn, but because of who he had become just moments before that in the big picture, 
that he was able to handle that in a way I think very few people could. Totally agree. The, the other crazy part of the story that we didn't really get into, and I've seen some interviews with Coach Knight over the years about it, that Northwestern game where they were going to tell his parents that you know mm-hmm. he's gone, the game was over. Like we were blowing Northwestern out and he just put him in, all right, I'm going to give him this one last hoorah to, to show everybody, you know, how bad he is. He was terrible. And then he pulled him out of the game. Like he put him in in garbage time and then pulled him out because he was bad. And then Knight decided, and I've seen different things. On some interviews, I've seen Knight say he doesn't really know why he did it. Another oh. time I've seen him say he did it because he wanted to show the world why he was going to kick him off the team. Yeah, he didn't want to let him off the hook. Right, but he put him back in. Call it divine intervention. Call it luck. Call it some nagging feeling inside Coach Knight that maybe there was something more. Unpacking these stories and what leads from one thing to another is remarkable. And his story of just hearing a guy tell him in the hospital, I think I can't do this. I'm going to commit suicide. And Landon having that light bulb go off, F that, we're alive. And if I can dedicate myself to helping other people realize what they do have and the potential that what they do have, I I just can't imagine a more meaningful life. I can't imagine it. And I I choose to believe that Coach Knight it's a better story to tell Barbara Walters or 2020 or whatever that, oh, he's being ornery. It's a coach night ornery thing. I'm going to put him back in there just, just to really show the world. But you had to know deep down, he had this love and this belief. And if these were the last couple of minutes, he had to prove it. He wanted to give him that shot. And we all know how that season ended up. And, and so I'll, I'll always choose to believe that that was sure that was maybe even at a subconscious level, coach Knight's understanding of what a human being can do, especially when the chips are down to give them another shot. And we've heard many times he's given a lot of players, a lot of shots at a certain point you run out, but those weren't the Landon Turners of the world. And, and, to, to sit here and to, to reflect on these many hours of conversation, it's, I know that it's been a crazy, crazy week on my end, you know, and, and there's one thing to intellectually know, like, oh, uh, your, your problems really don't amount to a hill of beans, especially compared to what so many other people are going through right now, or really ever, but just the way I feel differently, the way the sky looks right now out that window compared to before that conversation, it's, it's absolutely um, transformative. And I do, I do hope that he's finding other ways this year to, to speak to more people over Zoom or whatever it is. And that's going to be one of the many blessings of the world returning to normal is that that man can go out there every day and make people feel better, just like he made me feel better today. Yeah. And I'm trying to resist going to a somewhat negative place, but I'm Mm -hmm. going to just give into it for a second. The fact that he does not have a relationship with this team at Indiana now or the last three teams and has not shared 
one one hundredth of what he just did with us, like you said, a two minute conversation. You, you is, mean the last three seasons? That's what I'm the, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just that, to be the clear. fact. That, yeah, yeah. The fact that he has not had the opportunity to do that, to share with them a fraction of what he shared with us, like you said, in a two minute conversation, is fucking criminal. Period. It's okay? inexcusable. It's malfeasance. It's it's it's. Fucking maddening. All right. I, it is infuriating. That gentleman, in two minutes, like you said, of talking to them, could inspire a goddamn lifetime. And I don't even care about basketball for a second. I mean, obviously, I care about basketball. But if you are the leader of young men, molding them, shaping them, parents have trusted you to take their kids and make them men ready for the world. And at your disposal, you have Landon Turner and you don't use him? I don't know what to say to you. I don't know what to say to you. I am livid about that. Well, Those and parents it's deserve better. Those kids deserve better. We got lucky, Ward, that we got to do that just now. We got lucky. And by the way, thank you, Steve Risley. Thank you, Ray Tolbert. Thank you, Scott Dolson. That's how all this stuff happened to get this one. We got lucky. And you're telling me that he would do that, offer it, and you aren't taking advantage of that? Forget basketball. Life. Let those kids hear what real adversity is, what it means to that gentleman who is dealing with more on a daily basis than any of those kids will probably ever deal with, that most people ever deal with. Let him let them hear from him how much it meant to him to play for Indiana and how much he regrets not giving his all when he was there. It, I'm sorry. It, it makes to, to me, it's we get so caught up ultimately in a fun way, good or bad, with the results on, on the basketball court. And we'll get mad, we'll get frustrated, we'll get sad, we'll get depressed. But at this point in my life, a lot of that stuff really rolls off my back. And in relatively short order, I can return to my family. I can turn to my responsibilities and go on with my day. But having some idea of, of this being the situation leading into this interview, I can tell you nothing has upset me more over the last three and a half years than to learn so recently that Landon Turner has not been fully embraced and, and utilized even, and utilized. It's, it's a kind of a cold word, but it's exactly the one well, I was thinking yeah. is to be like that, that to me, there is no excuse. There is no rationale and it is fucking infuriating. And I, th there is not one reason on God's green earth you can tell me that is the situation this season aside because of COVID, that that isn't something that's happening on a regular basis with the young men playing for Indiana University basketball. It is tragic. It is. All right. <laughs> Wipe that off. Shake that off. It had, to, it had to be said. It had to be said. Let's shake it off. All right. Got to take the background off to show that. The basketball star. There now he is. Now I know we've got a lot of people that listen to us that are from different political parts of the uh, landscape, but you know what? This made Landon Turner's just 
it made his life being able to do that. That's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, red sweater for Bobby Knight, Landon Turner's at the game. Like right there, that, d- down at the baseline. Yeah, down at that's the, down where at he the is. The bench. And there were times where I went to games and I would see Landon and be like nervous. Like I would get nervous. Like that's Landon Turner. And never, I never mustered the nerve to go introduce myself and meet him. And I hate myself that I didn't do that. Well, well, for me also, it was in, impossible for me not to see uh, a human being who had the whole world in front of them and it, and it tragically taken away and, and not feel bad, um, feel sympathy, feel even empathy to the degree that you can. And, and there would be a sadness associated with that. Um, love and, and, and caring from, from knowing how much coach Knight still included him and even post coach Knight that he was still a part of the community, but there was, there was always a sadness associated with that. And to be able to speak with him for over three hours, um, you know, that now, that now is what's going to dominate, you know, my heart and my soul when I see him down there, because, you know, I knew he was able to, to move forward and have a, a productive and, and a life that very much influenced other people in a positive way. But that's about all you'd hear. Um, and, and getting to spend that much time and to see how much joy and happiness is inside of him to this day. Now that is what's going to just wash over me every time I see him, that, that joy of life and you know, whatever state of mind I'm in, that's always going to pick me up instead of kind of make me feel sad. Yeah, no, I, he's uh, just a bright shining light and uh, he's so funny. I mean, he's just got this gregarious big personality that matches the six foot 11 physical frame. He is just awesome. And uh, I, I said it to him and I'll say it again. I am just proud that we get to call Landon Turner a Hoosier. Man, that was a good one. Uh, you know what? I'll just I'll steal his line. God is good to let us do things like that uh, and 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 be able to share it. And I hope I hope the people listening, I hope they they just enjoyed it one one hundredth of what we did because then they'll get something out of it. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No e, no i. But, but the, the sometimes, sometimes why why I started to burp right as we went into that I kind of swallowed it but yeah, it was there <laughs> uh, we will be back at you next week from the halls of assembly you'll hear us scream and shout our love of Indiana is manic and devout Archie and his boys we discuss in unique manner we won't be satisfied until we hang another banner us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.